Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, and I said, oh, yeah. Wow. We got going Creed already here. Uh, it's Friday, guys. It's uh, September 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2022. And you stumbled upon, some might say, the best damn combat sports show. Period. We got the awards to prove it. This here is morning combat. I'm Brian Campbell, that beige bastard, the uh, BBC with the uh, BDE, if you will. Some have. My partner in crime today is the best damn non-fighting fight analyst of all the people who know a lot of things about tough stuff but haven't ever done it themselves. He's the best at it. It's Luke Thomas. I've done a few tough things, fuckhead. I've done a few. I've done a few. But yes, thank Sorry. you. Happy to be Sorry. here. Sorry, former Marine Sergeant Luke Thomas. Yeah, didn't get that by accident, dickface. Had to earn that one. So, uh, yes, happy to be here. We got some fights. By the way, the fights will basically, like, we'll just tag Bellator in because as soon as the show is over, basically the Bellator prelims start, and those are always a bloodbath. So, yep. uh, so fun little afternoon. Yeah, you ever drive by and reach your hand out the car and like high five a friend driving by, Luke? That's going to be us and Josh Thompson at the end of the show, all right? Uh, I mean, maybe me and Josh Thompson. I don't know about you and Josh oh. Thompson. <laughs> I know. I did use the word friend. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a thin line between friend and foe these days. But we got a probably a pretty damn good show for you today. We're going to set the stage for the weekend ahead in combat, sort out the latest news, listen to your dead wrongs, and maybe even have a little fun with a happy hour to close if we get that far. But I want to remind you of our fantastic backbone that puts this together, CBS Sports Showtime, Malka, and speaking of those partners at Showtime, uh, today would be a great time to start your 30-day free trial by going to Showtime.com. Why? Because how about Bellator 285? Today, main card, 4 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. And if you start your monthly trial now, it'll still be free by the time BC closes out the Showbox season on October 21st in Atlantic City. Just something to... uh, Put on your calendar right there. Uh, Luke, I'm not here necessarily to sell things for people, but I know people are looking at this badass Factory Town MMA t-shirt that I'm wearing that kind of looks like it's like your local biker gang. You know, like I kind of got that feel going on. Like I could be an extra in Fast and the Furious wearing this, right? 
Only if you were like some kind of uh, janitor or, you know, picked on nerdy school teacher who got, you know, beat up by his own students like uh, like well, uh, Morgan Freeman and what's it called? Uh, some of my the, favorite and deliver or whatever. No, some no, of no, my favorite action movies have started that way. I mean, Billy Blinks has like a whole second chapter of his career being a janitor who ends up effing up, you know, nerdy 17 year olds who think they're tough. So uh, that's the I story. Say, there, teenagers but- are stupid and worthless and beating them up is always a good thing. I'm in on that for the most part, except for my two teenagers in my house. Luke, uh, Factory Town MMA is just one of the many options you can get at morningcombat.store, including Luke's dead face and, uh, you know, the the real talk like men do. So uh, go the on bomber jackets. To... I wore a bomber jacket to drop off Tuki at school today. Did did, did people give you that look like, yeah. Uh, people mostly don't look at me when I walk around, but my wife thought it was cool. So that's good enough for me. Yeah. Oh, that Mr. Plow scenario. It's coming back in your marriage, Luke. Yes. Who knew? Who knew? Yes, who Mr. Plow. <laughs> yes. Who knew RJ Dunkelfucker could be the, uh, you know, the Spanish fly to, to keep things fresh. Oh, the, uh... I meant to tell you, BC. I, sorry. I got to interrupt you about that. I talked to RJ, uh, Dunkel gangbang yesterday. <laughs> so someone hit me up about this idea. I don't know if we're going to do it, but I put it in his. And the way you describe it, I put it in his ear hole. Yeah. We are talking about maybe, maybe doing some MK man bags. That's right, mother effer. MK man purses, mochillas, if you will. I mean, I feel Uh, like we should be at a point, Luke, where gender pronouns are not a part of our vernacular. So if you were looking at anything binary in the uh, MK bag department, I could be in on that. But uh, uh, these are man bags. I mean, girls already have purses. Why the hell would they use one of these? I mean, I guess they could. But speaking of which, here's the other part. So, uh, you know, we're always like, we've got male dot 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 viewers. I got to tell you, the female viewers had enough of our shit. They hit me up all over social media being like, hey, dude. Why do you keep pretending we don't exist? Why are you oh, ignoring wow. us? Yeah, I got to say, and I got some requests. So over back to uh, RJ uh, Dunkel Gangbang, um, the women viewers have requested that we get some specific merch tailored towards them. Oh, some wow. shirts, for example, that they can wear that are more appropriate for their fit. I got to say, I appreciate the women who are you know relatively normal who watch this show, and I think they're right. I think we kind of owe them a little bit. No, well, knowing you and RJ's combined culture, uh, I'm afraid we're going to come out with MK's uh, chick dips, chains, whips, uh, S&M line. But uh, hopefully there's something for the ladies out there, Luke, that they can wear, you know? That's just you being awful. No one was talking about that. They just wanted a, a, a form-fitting T-shirt. And you're over here talking about something that is utterly irrelevant. So glad you're here. Well, that's kind of par for the course on the show. Um Luke, uh, people can like this video. They can subscribe to what we do here on Morning Combat. Um, it does go a long way, folks, okay, uh, for this show to continue to take over the world, not just combat. We're coming for you, your lifestyle, your time. We're basically looking to move in with you, MK, in your house on a daily basis for us to get there. Keep supporting us. Tell your friends. Vote on our awards. I don't even know if they're still live, but thank you, fans. Yes, they are. They are. So you can go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees right now if you're so inclined to push MK over the top for the second straight year as best MMA programming. You're going to have to hurdle over Ariel and Rogan and Dana like we did last year to help us get to that point. But at this point, it's out of our hands, Luke. You know, it's like my therapist always tells me about my travel anxiety. You can't control the airlines, okay? Luke, it's up to the people right now, all right? I also have travel anxiety, but that's where uh, Kush Bites come in, come in handy. 
<laughs> like, sir, you've sat in you've sat in the eighth seat on Delta for twenty five consecutive flights. This is amazing. Like, yeah. sir, the commode is not your chair. Uh, you need to go get in your seat, please. <laughs> Thank you, Andre the Giant. All right, there you go. Look, I mean, how embarrassing must have been from? They used to have to put a curtain around him, and he would like crap in a chamber pot in the back. Yeah, that had to suck. Um, you know, but he's dead, so whatever. <laughs> that guy must have had tremendous BO, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that much. All right, you want to start this damn show? Uh, we don't have any AG1 reads, but Luke, you want to ask me what's keeping me alive? Gang Green right here, okay? You having your uh, AG1? I haven't had mine yet today. I'll probably have it after the show, but uh, I am also excited about AG1. It is a good product that I enjoy hawking. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. All right, let's get into the uh, matters at hand. And tonight, as I mentioned, 4 p.m. Eastern, main card start on Showtime. It is Bellator 285. Those prelims going to hit you up a few hours earlier on the Showtime Sports and Bellator YouTube channels on Pluto TV as well. 285 emanating from Dublin. They're back. We're back. And the Irish fans have, have been known to bring it when it comes here. And a... Lightweight tilt in the main event featuring former WEC and UFC champion Benson Henderson against recent title challenger Peter Queeley in his own backyard. Uh, we are going to expect the zombie, hey, hey, uh, entrance here. But Luke, reading the words of both this week, listening to Bellator Scott Coker, you do get the feel here now that given their ages, it's sort of in some ways a loser leaves town scenario. But the winner could catapult himself back into the title picture for one more run here. Who's most likely to do it as we enter tonight's main event? You know, I've not looked at the odds. So before I even pull those up, my answer is going to be it's got to be Benson Henderson. Probably not by a huge amount. Let's see what our friends over at Caesars have to say. Yeah, that's right. They've got Benson Henderson currently, as I speak to you right now, at about a minus 195, Peter Quilly at about a plus 165. To your point, Peter Quilly, 37 years of age. Benson Henderson, 38 years of age. He'll be 39, I believe, in November. So that's for 155. That is definitely long in the tooth, although um, both still have a little bit of life left in them. In fact, Benson Henderson coming off the, I think his last fight was the Mamadov win. So yes. uh, that was a split decision. That was a split decision, but he did, he did get the job done, survived some tough uh, moments. I, I definitely feel like this is Benson Henderson's fight to lose. I'll say this. Peter Quilly's definitely going to be lifted by that crowd. He's definitely going to be lifted by the moment, I think. I think he also recognizes if he really wants to make a move for the title the way that you described. Um, it's kind of this, especially since he beat Petriki Pitbull, but it was controversial because of the cut. Then he had the rematch, and he got stopped. And then if you lose to Henderson, it's kind of like, where do you really go after that? You could still be valuable on the roster in other ways, but in terms of that apex opportunity, this is kind of it. And again, they brought the show to basically his hometown, his backyard. It's, you know, it's a bit of a shit or get off the pot kind of moment here oh, for, for him. sure. For Benson Henderson, it's a little bit interesting. Remember, the Mamadov fight was the last fight on his last Bellator deal. He didn't know if he was going to be back with Bellator. He didn't know if he was going to be back stay in you and in, in, in any of MMA at all like he thought maybe this could be the end but he's back here I, I would tend to think that if he loses here he hard to say if he hangs it up but that could certainly facilitate it pretty quickly I think if he wins though man this is full steam ahead make one last push at the title that's really what this comes down to as you indicated two guys who are much longer in the tooth who are still doing a little something something out there but they've really got to make an opportunity here 
out of this moment tonight here in Dublin, Ireland. And I would lean towards Henderson. I just feel like Henderson's got a little bit more juice, a little bit more athleticism. Both guys are hittable, but Henderson, to me, has been a little bit more battle-tested against guys with bigger power. Queeley, not as much. This should should be a Henderson win. You, you set the stage perfectly, and listening to Coker's words, I really do believe the winner's going to get a, a, a catapult back into uh, title contention here. For Queeley, Luke, I don't worry about the age as much, even though he's only one year younger than Henderson, because I feel like he did come into his own and really find his his best run in his mid-30s there. He's one fight removed, as you mentioned, from fighting for the vacant title against Patricky Pitbull and getting stopped and coming up empty. I don't think he's as talented or as experienced against the same type of names as a Benson Henderson. But I do wonder, you thought Benson a little bit fresher. I think Queeley's fresher. I wonder if that ultimately, with his aggressive striking volume, can potentially be the difference here. Now, he is a underdog, as we mentioned with the betting lines. The thing you have to look at at Benson Henderson, in my viewpoint, is he's old. He just snapped a three-fight losing streak by getting a very quality win. But look, he's the, he outside of maybe that Chandler knockout, he doesn't get handled at this age. For the for the natural decline he showed, he's still a huge lightweight, a tough out, durable, hard to body, hard to dominate. But if I look at this matchup, I'm going to need Queeley to be active, and I'm going to need him to take some chances with the striking, which obviously on the flip side could open up uh, his exit in the same way. Although Benson, not known certainly not in this era as a you know as a potent finisher with one or two strikes. But I did like the interview I heard Benson Henderson give uh, Tommy Tran of CBS Sports HQ this week where he brought up the contract status that you mentioned. He said he re-signed a four-fight deal. He said it'll be his last. He's expecting to win this fight and make a run at the title. He's also expecting to finish out that four-fight deal. Uh, the motivation for him to end his decorated career with the Bellator title seems to be his fuel. Luke, if he wins this, given... In this moment, that what, what's our title situation? It's around the waist of Patricky Pitbull. He's mm -hmm. taking on Usman Nurmagomedov next. Uh, mm -hmm. AJ McKee is going to move up very shortly in October. Uh, is it a one-off? We don't know at lightweight in this division. If Benson Henderson wins here, how you know when you have a name at this advanced age and he's fought for two different Bellator titles in different weight divisions and come up short in competitive outings, but come up short just the same. Could he catapult a win here directly into that in your eyes? Possible, especially if he goes in there and looks good doing it. There, there is that. I mean, I think, dude, I really believe, honestly, like there's a, there's, yes, the answer, the answer to your question is yes. He absolutely could, given the name, given the, 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 you know, if, if you're, if you're champion for, for so for example, if Usman Nurmagomedov ends up beating Patricky, you know, Benson Henderson fighting Usman Nurmagomedov, that is some, there is so, still some name value there. That would be beneficial for Bellator to make that fight. I, I would expect widely Usman Nurmagomedov to win, but you get the idea, right? A little bit of a rub you could give the guy in that in that uh, particular sense. But honestly, I think it's really it's 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 open ended here. Uh, you know, Queeley, if he goes, I mean, imagine something like something like this, right? If if Queeley goes in there and knocks Benson Henderson out, dude, like he's probably going to get the title shot too. So I really believe just Benson Henderson probably just has to win. I think Peter Quilly has to win impressively, but neither is really all that far apart. The problem is, even if they get the win, I I fully expect Nurmagomedov to be the champion, and then I don't see either of these guys having much of a chance against him. And that's not a knock on them; it's just Nurmagomedov is 
special. He's very, very good. So it would just be not really all that doable. But to getting back to one of your points you made about Quili, like I don't think he can win this fight hanging back. That's not his style anyway. But the the challenge of his style is that if he's, you know, he loves to switch stance and blitz. That's a big thing he likes to do. He likes to blitz. Um, if he can get that going, that's a reasonable path to victory. The problem is that also sets up a lot of openings as well. The question is, is whether Benson Henderson is up to the task of taking advantage of them. Uh, Henderson snapped that three-fight losing skate, which was a one-punch knockout to Michael Chandler and decision defeats to Jason Jackson and Brent Primus. But Luke had a four-fight win streak before that between 2018 and 2019, beating decent second-tier names. His two title fights were early in his transfer to Bellator, while still a somewhat prime free agent pickup from the UFC. Split decision loss for the lightweight belt to Michael Chandler and their 2016 first meeting. Uh, and... Also, the fight two fights before that, he lost a unanimous decision to Andre Koreshkov for the welterweight title. Yeah, he does have a, a win over Patricio Pitbull in there, but that was that weird sort of TKO, TKO injury ending. Luke, would we... Dude, we you're, love sleeping an old on, guy. you're sleeping on his last win, which was over Islam Mamadov. Dude, that's well, a we good met, fighter he beat. Yeah, I don't think we're sleeping on it since we both mentioned it, and I said that's a high-quality win uh, against an unbeaten fighter with split decision. Luke, if Benson adds this, we love the old guy rally story. There's, we've always loved Benson Henderson, right? He's, he, I mean, he's somewhat a forgotten man in the in the modern UFC title run era because you know he had a very good title reign and was as solid as it gets. If he makes a run at this and can do this, how much more will that add to what he's already accomplished in his career, ending it with a Bellator world title? I think that would be pretty special. I think that would be very special. You know, you could say, well, I don't necessarily see. Bellator titles, in the, at least in this division. I get the 205 title to me is is very difficult to achieve in Bellator. And you could say, well, it's not necessarily their lightweight division doesn't quite stack up with UFC, and I think that's a very fine point to make. But to be able to beat, I mean, some of these guys are very good. Again, it would probably get, meaning either beating Patricky Pitbull, which I think Benson Henderson could do. I wouldn't favor him to do it, but he could do it. But then to beat Usman Nurmagomedov, if it comes to that, that would be extremely impressive to do it barreling down the age of 40. My lord, that would be really, really impressive. And you're right. Like, remember, he came over to Bellator with a ton of fanfare, decided to take on Andre Koreshkov, which was a terrible idea, and he got manhandled in there. And then he's had, you know, and then you pointed out again against Patricio Pitbull was the weird fight where he was definitely losing up until the injury happened and all this nonsense. Like, he's had a real up and down run to be able to put an exclamation point, something quite memorable from his run. I mean, that's sort of the problem I think he's kind of had. The Mamadov fight was close. The premise fight, you know, so it was a good, fine fight, but somewhat forgettable. The the things that have stood out to you about Benson Henderson's run, in in large part, I think, in Bellator's, yeah, he's had a he's had a he's had a respectable run, but the parts that really kind of stick in your memory, I think, are the losses. To be quite honest, the loss, obviously, to Andre Koreshkov, the loss to Michael Chandler. That Michael Chandler loss, granted, Chandler has been dramatically improved and he earned it, but that was kind of a bad sort of one sided thing that happened to him. So the to second be one. Able, the first the fight, one, split yes. this, first title yes, fight yes, was. Yes. A split I'm talking decision. about the yeah. fight where Chandler beat him and then went to UFC. The the yeah. last one there, uh, which I think was part of the COVID bubble. But um, either way, you get the idea to be able to like kind of overcome that, have one last push, and then claim another belt and against to do it against difficult opponents at age 40 or you know roughly age 40. Boy, that would be extremely impressive. And I think you know where we're to put him all time in MMA lightweights. I'm not sure, but. It would definitely be the kind of thing that's honestly been missing really 
from his Bellator experience, that this kind of standout, really glorious moment. Yeah, he's still in tremendous shape, still seems to you know, mentally be very strong and in the right place. Luke, it, it seems forever ago that he was the UFC uh, champion, it's probably because it was a decade ago, which in modern times feels like about 30 years ago. But don't forget those three title defenses came against Frankie Edgar, Nate Diaz, and Gilbert Melendez. Even with the Gilbert fight being disputed, um, nobody questioning the decorated ability. Let's see if Benson can continue this ride one more time. Luke, I I'm going to pick Queeley here, though. Uh, you know, like the crowd has an opportunity to lift him. He's going to have to take big chances. He's not the same level of skill as somebody like Benson, but can he package everything else, the emotion, uh, the activity? It, it, it's going to be an interesting fight. I, I, I'm going to go with the Irishman here, which probably means he's going to lose by first-round KO, so we'll see what happens right there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, Benson Henderson's not so much of a first-round KO kind of guy, so that seems unlikely. And by the way, I think I, I don't think a, peel, uh, excuse me, a pick for Queeley here is crazy at all. Look at the odds. They're not that far apart. Benson Henderson has a better resume for sure and has beaten better guys over the course of his career by a million miles. Like That's not at all in dispute. But the state of where he's at, while still good, is not that same guy who beat Gilbert Melendez, who beat you know Frankie Edgar or whatever. It's a different kind of guy. And Peter Queeley, yes, he lost to, uh, to Patricky, but Patricky's got you know some pretty decent boxing and some heavy hands. And so I think a guy who... Is going to, again, we mentioned it, boosted by his hometown and understands that this is a very important moment and has a style that is very offensively forward that carries risk, but in this particular situation could make him very dangerous. I'm going to ride with Henderson. I just feel like he's got more ways to win and better durability than the kinds of guys that Queeley has put away before, but I recognize it's close. Absolutely. Uh, the odds not quite as close in this co-main event, although there is much reason to watch it. The combined age is, in fact, 91, but Yoel Romero will be a minus 700 betting favorite, according to Caesars, against the plus 500 46-year-old Melvin Manhoof. Uh, Melvin has said, Luke, this will be it. We have heard that from him before, but this is officially it. He's going to get the final close-up here. He's always going to bring in that one strike knockout ability. He's always going to bring in the potential that he gets got the same way. Let's ask it like this. We expect Yoel Romero, who's a little bit fresher, not too far apart in age, by the way, uh, to get the W here, he looked fantastic in breaking Alex Polizzi's jaw and getting his first Bellator win after that split decision loss to Phil Davis. How do you think you all will look, though, in terms of uh, in his second, or what, his third appearance here at light heavyweight after officially making the move? In terms of, is he going to go after a man hoof or is he going to be that, that, that coiled cobra waiting for that one perfect counter strike? See, I'm not so sure because you could look at the Corey Anderson model where he was able to, to like pressure. Manhoof backwards and take him down and beat him up on the ground. Is that really Romero's style? It hasn't been. Like obviously he's got amazing wrestling credentials, but he's got freestyle wrestling, not folk style. It's a little bit different. And he, you know, and and he doesn't seem to use it in the way that you would imagine someone with that kind of a wrestling background would. Uh, it's a threat. He, his level changes seem to be you know uh, ever present and still quick, but those more often than not tend to set up strikes afterwards. So. I, I actually feel like I would be very surprised if Romero loses. I would not be surprised if it's a little bit close and honestly a little bit boring at times, which I'm not trying to warn the audience not to watch. That's not my point, but rather, like, I feel like Romero's going to be very, it always has been, but especially in this contest, 
very selective about when he presses the gas versus the brakes. Now, he's always kind of been that way, as I mentioned, but it will be particularly acute here. The funny part is, I think if he wanted to wrestle, especially at 205, where he should, you know, not so drained, he should be able to against a guy like Melvin, who, you know, is a, a well-trained MMA fighter, but is very old at this point, relatively speaking, and has never had great wrestling takedown defense. Romero should be able to overcome that without much issue. But he just doesn't seem to fight that way. So I think he's going to actually take some big bombs eventually from Manhoff. The problem is that Manhoff's chin has been degraded over time, which is just the Absolutely. inevitability of fighting a style like that. Romero's, to me, has not. I think that will be the difference. I would like to see Yoel sprinkle that in. We, you know, we pondered that when he moved to Bellator and announced the move up to 205. And you're right, you know, going back to his biggest UFC title fights there when he had that succession of them, he just doesn't use that style. He really never has in MMA. It's been more of his amateur uh, Olympic style that that he broke out there. I don't know, Luke. Is it is it the reason why we we don't see fighters carry the wrestling late into their career as aggressively because of how taxing it is? It can be, yes. Um, that's obviously a big component of it. You need a lot of gas tank. You need a lot of horsepower for that kind of style to work. That's part of it. And I think, you know, these guys at plus 40, in this case, well plus 40, kind of apportion their offense a little bit more thoughtfully given the realities of where they're at in their career. So that can be a part of it. Um, but I also think that Romero believes in his hands too. Right, I think he believes oh, yeah. I, I can knock this guy out. Like, and, he, and and by the way, he's probably right that he can. Whether he will, we shall see. But I think that's a big part of it as well. He just is absolutely convinced um, that this is the way for him to win. And by the way, I mean obviously that's exactly how a guy like um, Manhoof uh, thinks he can win as well. So wrestling would only be largely a defensive component here. I can't imagine it be anything else other than look, a fake level low. Romero's got great boxing, and let's not forget his brother is former. Cruiserweight world champion, what is it? Yoan Pablo Hernandez, I believe is the correct name. Um, but Luke, the problem is that he's a little, he's always, I mean, even this has been the problem in the Adesanya fight or whatever. I mean, he's too selective. Maybe that's to protect the gas tank because when he does strike, it is so high powered and explosive. But man, you'd love to see him if he's going to commit solely to the boxing, which is really what he's doing, to really work a jab and, and, and have a higher output. This will be the fight to do that, even with the danger of Manhoof countering. But uh, we'll see what happens. Anything can happen. Uh, I think the worst case scenario would be over here if they went the distance. Like, we're expecting a uh, a beautiful disaster here in round one, so give it to us, right? That's yeah, by fair. the way, I said I said it was boring, but let's be clear. I, 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 I'm sorry. I warned that it could be, depending on what Romero comes out. But if Romero comes out the way he came out against Paulo Costa, this is going to be batshit. It oh, yeah. won't last that long, but it'll be absolutely insane. So this one will either be completely insane or could be a little bit more measured for the duration of the bout. But um, I, I, I just it would be it would be weird for Romero to lose a bout like this. Yeah. And also, let me say, <clears throat> I re I know it's, it, he's kind of indicated it's, it's almost certainly going to be. I just want to say it one more time. This should be the end of Melvin Manhoof's combat sports career the guy has done a lot he's had a lot of fights in both kickboxing and mma he's had some tremendous wins he's had a lot of damage it's time to do something else all right uh luke finally on romero he's made the media rounds this week was on Ariel's show and all that was asked about adesanya and he ultimately said go back to my fight with him have you seen adesanya look fun or exciting or entertaining since then so luke I, I look back on that weird fight that I was cage side for that I scored three rounds to two to Yo Romero and a lot of people still laugh at me, but come come back in time. Get get the gigawatt, sit next to me. It's a weird ass fight. 
I did see Romero land that big head kick in round one that kind of, you know, put, put lowered the output of Adesanya and made him tread carefully. Do you put any credence in what you always Romero is saying about your city kick boner friend here about uh, maybe he's the reason that Adesanya has turned to the more safe, practical side? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people think a lot of crazy things, including right. you, probably me yeah. to an extent. Um, all of us really, I think that's a, that's a very <clears throat> silly thing to believe. All right. We'll file it ahead of Italian leather man bag as a uh, silly thing. Doesn't have brought. to be Italian or leather. I just need a man bag from RJ. <laughs> MK faux leather. Yeah. MK pleather. Uh, Luke, we mentioned the storylines coming in about other fights to watch. I, I do want to circle that Mads Brunel, Pedro Carvalho fight at Featherweight. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but I did an uh, Instagram takeover on the MK account yesterday. Talk to Mads Brunel at length. Luke, he hell of a personality. He doesn't get the, the close-up or shine on a consistent basis in terms of the media, but um, a fun little chat there. Here's a guy who really appreciates box trying to to work a boxing style into his MMA game that's, you know, comparative to the Joe Frazier, James Tony, Philly shell and the defensive movements. We know he's coming off that tough loss in the number one contender fight to Adam Boric, but had an eight-fight win streak before that. Gave a lot of credit to the move to Extreme Couture in recent years for really allowing him to well-round his game and come out there. And considering Pedro Carvalho has lost three of four and did get stopped by Patricio in their... Uh, Grand Prix title bout, this does feel like an opportunity for Mads Brunel, as we said on Wednesday, to, if he can pull it off, to get a win and, and pretty much be right there looking for another shot. Luke, I'm getting the feeling at 28 that there's still a lot more for him to give in this division, uh, but he's got to get by Pedro here. How does he do it with Brunel a minus 500 favorite, Carvalho plus 380? He can actually box a little bit, which we've seen now a, 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 a numerous amount of times. You saw it in the Boric fight. Obviously, he couldn't do it enough to win, or at least not every round. He won a couple. Uh, it was a very, very difficult and close fight. But, you know, the guy on the ground is a wizard as well and always has been. I really believe that, you know, Carvalho, if he has a way to win, it would be if Burnell makes some kind of mistake on the feet, which is certainly possible. But I believe on the ground there is a massive difference in capability. I would give the huge edge to Burnell there. So Burnell has shown a little bit more of an affinity and willingness and, frankly, eagerness, I would say, to fight on the feet more than he ever used to, understandably, because he is good there. I want to point out, I'm not saying if it's on the feet, Burnell won't win. He might keep it on the feet and knock him out. He, he might be better on the feet um, than, than Carvalho, but he is for sure better on the ground. And I, I think he'll probably do a little bit of a mix, but I wonder if he might really make that a little bit more of a forward part of his game than he did against Boris. Now, Boris kind of shut a lot of that down too, but... Um, I tend to think that there's going to be a little bit more of ground play in this one, and that will ultimately spell the demise of Carvalho. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And finally, Luke, we don't talk about Leah McCourt a lot, but the women's featherweight will be back in her home of Ireland, coming off her first Bellator defeat to Sinead Kavanaugh, but taking on a rising Diana Silva. This is not a deep division, Luke. It's kind of like, you know, Chris Cyborg, Arlene Blanco, and everybody else, right? How about Leah McCourt making some noise here, maybe, potentially? All right. I don't know if you're moved by this, are you? You in on no. this? No. All right. There we go. There's the picture. Thank you, Gaff. Okay. Uh, don't don't forget, Brett Johns. On this card, that's important. And then there's the Battle of the Carls. Carl Albrexen versus Carl Moore. Carl Albrexen's kind of a guy who's been around for a while, has had a different run in Bellator and then was out, and then now he's back again, fought in Ryzen as well. Um, has a win over Vadim Nemkov, to be clear, all the way back in 2016. So another guy to kind of keep your, your eye on. He also beat Victor Nemkov in 2021 and is riding a four-fight win streak, Carl Abrexin. So watch that. Luke, our second top of the week takes us to Anderson Silva, of all people, who, of course, October 29th in Phoenix, Showtime pay-per-view at 47 will box Jake Paul. But he was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, and the topic turned to Dana White, the UFC business practices, and really a summation of the deeper beef that Anderson seems to hold. Luke, we interviewed him on the set of the press conference in LA, what, a week and a half ago. And how would you describe when asked about UFC and Dana? It seems like Anderson gives like a polite response, but you can, do you feel tension behind there? Yeah, there's tension for sure. I mean, the way he explained it, I think you have the quote. Um, He sort of explains it as well. No, it's, you know, it's a small thing. It's an important thing, but it's a small thing. But I don't know, like, don't you get the sense that there's, I won't say he's seething with resentment, that's not quite right, but he definitely feels, it almost, it all. It, I, I can't speak for him, but it feels like he has more anger than he does yes. happiness towards Dana. It's, and hard, he's so it's hard for him to talk about Dana without saying something yeah. in the order of like, well, but this, you know. By the way, did you love, I loved, when he misappropriated the pronouns in English when he was talking to us, and he's like, Jake and your brother, and he kept saying to us, your brother, talking about Logan, but he just, it was so cute, Luke. It was cute. I don't understand. Right? What, what, what was he supposed to say? He kept saying, Jake, he, he wanted to say Jake and Logan, like Jake and his brother, but instead he kept saying, he would look at you and go, Jake and your brother, you know? And I'm oh, like, so he instead of saying his brother? Yeah, I'm like, Luke's brother, he don't, he don't give a damn about us, you know? <laughs> Let's be fair, all right? Well, here's yeah. the quote to Ariel here, Luke. He's probably a nice guy, though, your brother. Probably. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's decent. Uh, Quote, in this case, I don't think UFC is wrong or Dana is wrong. Dana tried to do your job, and the UFC gives you a job. The problem is the fighters. When they go inside and sign the contract, you already signed the contract. You don't have a chance to change. 
except when the contract is done. My personal opinion, of course, the UFC can pay the fighters better, especially a couple of fighters doing something very, very incredible inside UFC and make the UFC name strong and powerful. Make more respect for the brand. But everything is about talk to your manager, have a good thing behind you to protect you so you don't sign something you don't like in the future. A lot of very talented fighters sign something very crazy because the manager doesn't take care of the fighters. It's only about numbers and money, and that's the problem. Luke, I got more of his quotes on Dana, but I wanted to halt there because he brings up the manager. Do you think this is a bigger issue than we necessarily talk about and maybe than the overall narrative is in the fighter pay battle? We always look at it as the evil empire, Darth Vader, Dana, Hunter Campbell, and, you know, keeping away because of the draconian contracts and the control they have. But Anderson's basically saying, look, like, it's also up to the managers. And Luke, do we hear from time to time that certain managers get accused of getting too close to UFC brass and ultimately end up serving the promotion more than the fighters. Do you find that to be an accurate narrative? And do you believe Anderson's leaning in that direction? I've definitely have found that in my judgment, the most reliable and successful managers are not the ones with a ton of clients with UFC. That's where the problem seems to happen as far as I can tell. Now, not in every case and in, not necessarily in every similar kind of way, but You'll see some of the bigger fighters have managers that maybe have like a few people. These are the ones that don't seem to be nearly as beholden to the realities of being a manager in the space, which is if you've got a lot of clients and none of them are necessarily A-list or you only have a couple of them that are A-list, but you've got a lot that are B, C, and D, you, are, you, you end up having the situation where they have to maintain a positive relationship with UFC whether they feel like they do in order to, for this dynamic to be beneficial for them. Like they have to kind of do the UFC a solid in order for those rewards to be returned eventually. Um, I'm sure that's an oversimplification in a few ways, but that that seems to be um, something of, a, of the challenge. And like, you know, you can listen to the work of John Nash where he's like, you can look at the pay numbers and it just doesn't appear to be all that clear that the managers um, make any significant contribution to a rise in pay. It seems to happen formulaically. And so a lot of times the managers go back to their fighters and like, you know, look at this raise I got you, but that was a raise that was going to happen anyway. And yeah, I definitely do think that there are managers who are in bed with UFC and, um, you know, I don't think they're trying to screw their clients exactly, but they probably feel like what is most important is that I maintain this relationship with this behemoth in the industry and then try to get my clients to work inside of that space versus going white knuckle with them. But the reality is, if you change the industry by virtue of having the Ali Act or a union, a huge portion of this would be would be not fixed, but alleviated, let's say, overnight. Right. It's interesting. It's an interesting debate because we used to debate the opposite of that when we look at... Remember Nick Khan, who's, of course, running WWE now, but he was such a super agent with CAA that, you know, they used to make jokes that he's essentially running in ESPN from the inside out and able to leverage for some of his smaller clients, big opportunities by, you know, by using the, the, the leverage that his bigger clients have already had with the company. It almost seems the opposite here, where maybe some of these super managers are allowed to keep themselves afloat by keeping UFC happy. And to Anderson's point, is that doing enough individually? Anderson went on to say other quotes where he said, the fighters shouldn't have to worry about this. You should have a manager who completely has your back and handles this for you. Is that always the case? I think it's worth further uh, investigation. But here's the other specific bombshell quote, if you will, that Anderson gave about his specific problem with Dana White. Quote, my problem with Dana is when he talks about fights, 
because Dana has never fought MMA in his life. That's my problem when he talks about, you can't do that, don't do that, you don't fight correctly. No, 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 that's my only problem with Dana. I think Dana's a good person. Everybody talks about Dana saying he's not good, blah, blah, blah. But he's a good person and he's a good businessman. UFC doesn't get to this point now as a big, big company in the world if the people think, I did something, I'm sorry, fighters, I did something incorrect. No, the company grew up because of hustlers doing something and that's the game. You're inside or you're not. You can sign or you can not sign. You can go anywhere, but when you sign, you make a deal with my company. You can't say nothing because why did you sign? You signed the contract. You have a contract. Oh, no, let me out of the contract. You signed the contract. Okay, I'm, I'm babbling here in Anderson speak, but the crux of this, Luke, is he's basically saying once they've got you, they've got you and there's not much you can do, but he's getting pretty sick of Dana talking shit about fighters when he thinks... Dana hasn't proven himself in the cage. I don't think Anderson's watched the training footage of Dana for that aborted boxing match with Tito Ortiz, Luke, where Dana said he willingly took on potential CTE to try to win that grudge match. That never happened. Is there a point, though, to what Andy's saying about, hey, bro, stop talking shit if you ain't done it? That's what people say to me, Luke. They say, yeah, I don't know. Re- not, not, not really. Um, what I would say is that if you're going to speak about fights, you have a responsibility to, uh, you know, to have as informed a judgment as you can, which, of course, you know, every all of us will be fallible and we'll all say crazy things and make mistakes and whatnot. But fighters are not entitled to the comfort of the only analysis coming from their peers. Nobody is not not fighters. Not I mean, I'm not entitled to that. Neither are you. No one is. They, they want to insulate themselves from criticism because they are inherently extremely sensitive, which I understand is a occupational necessity or certainly a reality in many ways. I accept that. I understand that. I do think if you're going to have a role like you or like me, some deference has to be paid to that a little bit for sure. You got to, you got to work with that, but they're not entitled to the kind of criticism or evaluation that they find acceptable. Um, that's, that's outrageous to me. And of all the things you could say about Dana White, that is about the least credible thing I could ever care about. Well, Anderson went on to essentially say what we would assume he would say that like, when you sign the contract, you have no freedom to do what you want, but now he's not a UFC fighter. He has the freedom. He can box Jake. He can do other things. Um, what I'm wondering, I'm trying to wonder what Anderson is looking for. I mean, we we just read a whole bunch of quotes. What's the crux you think at the end of the day of his issue that he wasn't, Given like Muhammad Ali exit treatment that you, sir, are truly one of the pillars of the UFC success today. And you could argue that's a hundred. I mean, he's in the GOAT conversation. He's been one of the most must-see fighters in the totality of his reign. What What is he actually looking for that he didn't get on the way out, you think? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's any one thing. I mean, he kind of makes it sound that way a little bit, but I don't buy that. I'm with you. I think it's a suite of things. I just feel like... Yeah, the UFC got the exit wrong, and I'm not saying intentionally. I don't think they tried to screw him or something like that, but they could have done a better job, and I think they probably feel that way in hindsight anyway. But the but the piece to me, it just seems like is, I just feel like they these guys, and it goes back to the criticism thing, like you're not entitled to comforting analysis, and you're not entitled to the only analysis that your is, is, that, is that your peers can give you. Like, this 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 is absurd. But I do feel like what is the like what's the common denominator here? The common denominator feels is like I think he feels like he wasn't just taken care of, right? Maybe the pay was good, maybe it wasn't. Could have been a little bit more. Maybe the exit was not as good as it could have been. Maybe some of the things Dana said were not as nice as they could have been. And all these little things add up into this general sense that um, 
he wasn't as not protected per se, but he wasn't as uh, th- th- there wasn't enough there wasn't fine enough of a touch on the way things were handled with him in a series of either incidents or just sort of moments or whatever the case may be in the, in this in this situation. It just feels like there could have been a few more T's crossed, a few more I's dotted, a little bit more empathy or sympathy handed out right. in, a, in a couple of ways along. And those pieces were missed, and they seem to have like really stuck out in the mind of Anderson. For good or for bad, you can make the judgment call. Who's to say, ABC? I don't know how you feel about it. Does that sound like a plausible theory to you yeah i mean look in in dana's favor don't forget anderson got popped for drugs and you know he had big injuries during that long losing streak and when you lose that many in succession it's hard to have job security even though a lot of those losses are weird circumstances or hey anderson looked very good could have got the win against bisping you get my point but as we always talked about you know they were feeding him to cannoneer and brunson and fights that didn't make a lot of sense i wonder if anderson feels he should have been given Still high multi-million dollar purses just to appear in his 40s and, you know, fun fight GSP, fun fights against other legends that would have allowed him. Like, I wonder if he still looks at himself, Luke, realizes at 47 that he's still got a decent amount left that most 47-year-olds shouldn't and wonders if he should be still in a main or co-main event situation given legendary respect. That's what I wonder if the crux of it is, but uh, whatever at the end of the day. The final piece on Anderson is this, Luke. You know I've made a, a bunch of mythical matchup ideas on this show that have, you know, tasted to you either like a really gross gas station hot dog or maybe a pig with a little bit of lipstick on those lips. How about this from Ariel Helwani yesterday on Twitter? Scott Coker just told us that he called Anderson Silva's rep a couple months ago and he offered a fight against Fedor Emelianenko. No real talks then, but now that Silva said he wants one more MMA fight in Japan, Scott is going to reach back out. Luke, somebody on this show said that's the ultimate old guy fight that old Uncle Scott should be chasing from day one. This has me fired up in the loins, Luke. You? Probably not. Well, you don't have many W's, but when you get one, you don't let the world forget about it, do you? (laughs) Yo. Jake Paul's girlfriend follows me on Twitter. Everybody bow down. I mean, she does. You know, check check the receipts. I hope she still she does. does. She certainly does. Good for you. Um, yeah, you know what? At this point, I don't hate it so much. Um, of all the fights you could possibly do or make or directions you could go at this stage, remember they tried to force the old Junior Dos Santos thing at, e- at Eagle FC, and that just kind of blew up. Uh, yeah, I suppose that that is on the table, and I suppose that with okay with all the standard you know disclaimers that one could put in there just i mean i'm not even going to read them off just put them on there given those disclaimers and everything else i don't hate it i don't hate it Dude, at all that I think would it's be not a bad idea an ultimate bushido fight with like two of the purest og legends in terms of what's right about the sport it would be such an interesting different weight division matchup similar to dan hendo versus fedor and strike force a whole hell of a long time ago I can't believe we're still here talking about Fedor, by the way, a decade later, but we are. And um, yeah, I, I'm here for that. So please, Scott Coker, do that. Uh, if it's in Japan, send me. All right, I'll call. I'll call the fights. All right. I'll sit next to Big John, please. I want to see this shit. Luke, topic number three is sure to make people groan, but it look, it happened in the media this week. Floyd Mayweather is going to be back in a boxing exhibition that we'll mention in a little bit. But part of the buildup media wise was Floyd telling anyone who will listen 
that talks are ongoing about a 2023 boxing rematch with Conor McGregor. Now, right away, you get a knee-jerk groan from most people knowing Conor's current uh, UFC contract situation and the fact that Dana White would have to be involved in this to make it work. Dana's shat on the idea left and right. Uh, Floyd told the media that the only hiccup is that he wants an exhibition. Conor wants an actual fight. Well, Conor doesn't seem to want either because he posted on IG the hashtag not interested with a picture of the two of them. And then he put out a tweet that's now been deleted that was a reply to Floyd saying Bro, that he's... Bro, who deletes ex- more tweets, John Jones or Conor McGregor? Yeah, Honestly, wow. I don't know. Yeah, wow. So Floyd tweeted out that he's expected to make 15 to $20 million on Saturday. Conor said, quote, He also said he made $100 million to spar the Logan guy, yet never made the Forbes list top 100. He hasn't cleared $20 million in one full year since 2017 when we fought the last time. Otherwise, he'd have been on that list. He hasn't made the list since 2017. So in other words, he's full of shit, end quote. Look, I know you don't care about this, Luke, but it's kind of right. He, I mean, he might be right, but here's the point about this fight. Like, the first time they fought, it was unfathomable that two guys could meet in this way from different sports inside of one of the other guys' sport. What would it, you know, and obviously... If you're combat sports literate, you had a basic idea of what would happen. Like, there'd be no way Floyd would really lose. But, you know, you were wanting to see the weirdness. You wanted to see the unusualness. And for the casual fans, like, what would it look like? What would it be? How's it going to go? It's crazy. Can Connor pull up the upset? Now everyone kind of knows Connor's stock has declined. Floyd is, you know, not nearly the boxing. I mean, he's obviously still very involved in boxing. But, you know, he, he's fighting Logan Paul and Donks in Japan. Like, he's just doing the old man bit at this point. He's not nearly as relevant as a figure, as a prize fighter, as he was certainly during that time, right? The Floyd, right? The the Messi-Ronaldo era of soccer is basically over. The Floyd Manny's era of boxing is over as well, uh, although Manny's taking an, an a, a, a exhibition fight coming up too. But So, like, what would be the value in seeing it a second time? The first one wasn't bad, but the whole thing was this notion of suspense and unpredictability, and what would it be? Well, you got to see what it was. He got marched down and beaten up, like... You know, like, what what are you going to sell them on the second time around? I just don't even understand what the appeal would be, which isn't to say it wouldn't make money or whatever, but it just seems bizarre to me a little bit. Yeah, it it seems like Floyd might realize within himself that that's the last giant money fight he can make. It would have to be, you know, as close to a real fight as possible, meaning he's not going to be sparring a younger kickboxer three divisions lower i mean it's a connor who can still throw his hands although to your point the the brand is damaged and you know he needs a win badly in the ufc to revive that but i wonder if floyd at 45 is saying to himself if i've got to fight one more time a real fight and that logan fight was weird and, and floyd i think didn't expect to have to navigate it the way he did i wonder if floyd thinks this is it but the, even that could be a trap fight for him luke because of his age you never know okay but to your point it's hard to get amped up for it unless one or both of them is sort of riding a certain level of momentum or you hate Floyd so much that you're like, now we'll finally see him lose. And like, I, it's enough, enough of that BS. Speaking of BS, Luke, topic four is our boxing weekend preview. <laughs> Floyd's back Saturday on pay-per-view, integrated sports independent pay-per-view from Saitama, Japan. Your main event, Floyd Mayweather versus Makuru Asakura. A three-round junior middleweight exhibition. 
If those are the last words I say about this match, Luke, that's fine. Do you have any words to add? Uh, do you care? Or, you're vaping, so you apparently not. <laughs> you just you saw my level of care. Uh, I do care about uh, Shakur Stevenson and Conte Sal. I don't care so much about Joyce Parker. Uh, Amanda Serrano should. Okay, well, I didn't ask opponent. you about them, Luke. I didn't ask you about them at all. I'm just all. going over the slate. I'm just going over the okay, slate. Okay, we're That's not what... there yet. I, I I don't get what you're doing right now. Just trying to throw shade at my sport. What? Because Triple G didn't entertain us? Fuck them, all right? Hey, I like boxing just fine. It's a great sport. I'm not like one of the haters on our audiences. I like boxing. But this weekend, you know, it's not, it's not a showcase uh, of its best. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, Floyd's going to box whether we like it or not. I don't know enough about the other guy, Luke. It seems like he's much smaller in weight. But let's not forget that. Uh, remember that last exhibition he did? The guy took it really seriously. What was that guy's name? Tension Nasakawa? Oh, Tension Nasakawa. Yeah, who's a good fighter. Um, very. Yeah, fighter, he was crying but... afterwards. He was like going for it. Floyd sent well, him to hell Floyd, a few Floyd times. did something I didn't think he was going to do, which was, you know, I thought Floyd was just going to go in there and horse around with him. And Floyd just fucking took it to him. So... Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's possible, but, like, what kind of state is Floyd in? Like, Floyd's not out of shape or whatever, but he's not, like, I don't know, man. The whole thing is, I don't, like, you know, we I don't know if you put on the rundown or not. I, it wasn't on there yesterday, but, like, Triller saying, oh, we're going to come back and they're going to have Roberto Duran on the card. Yo, I saw Roberto Duran a few years ago in Panama. My man wasn't exactly in fight shape. Let's be quite well, honest about that. I mean, what, he's, like, in his 60s or 70s. I think they're probably thinking about him in, like, a, you know, exhibition where he comes out and riles up the fans. But, look, they had Jose Luis Castillo. On there, who shouldn't be anywhere near a damn ring at this point. And the, you know, the sons of Tommy Moore. Nobody cares. Trailer, go away, please. Thank you. Luke, interesting boxing fight tonight on ESPN that got more interesting yeah. by Shakur Stevenson, one of my ten for top ten pound for pound fighters in the game, and really the guy who I believe has next in this entire sport. He's still gonna face Robson, yes, that's how they say it. Conceição from Brazil, a three-time Olympian, a 2016 gold medalist. But only Conceição can win the WBC and WBO junior lightweight titles. Shakur Stevenson missed weight by a pound and a half, more or less. Did not attempt to pull the boxers down or try to make it after the break. In fact, his quote over Twitter was, I gave it my all. I've been professional my whole career and made weight, but my body just can't make 130 anymore. My health has to come first. I'm moving up to 135 in my next fight, end quote. Luke Stevenson was already according to reports, going to move up to 135. But even with how bad this looks, although let's try to frame it, he's, what, 24 years old? I mean, box when boxers are young, sometimes your body forces you out of a weight class. It happens. All these young guys around lightweight are going to end up being welterweights in their prime. That's just what's going to happen. This is still an interesting fight. Can Seisal fought Oscar Valdez, who Shakur Stevenson unified titles against, and you could argue in that fight, Luke really gave a great showing of himself in his only pro loss. I am still interested in seeing this fight because I know how great Shakur is and because I want to see him tomorrow against the top lightweights, whether that's Haney, Lomachenko, you can, can keep going on and on, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia, whoever. Um, does the missing of weight, in your eyes, stain Shakur at all or stain the potential entertainment value in tonight's fight? It's a good question. I do think it's a little bit of a bad look. Now, listen. If you've not seen Shakur Stevenson, let me tell you what I, is my best read on him. My best read is that he is an extraordinary talent. I mean, an extraordinary talent. He has just lightning precision. His distance management is is unbelievable. His accuracy. Let's be very clear about this. He is a much better boxer than Conceição. 
much better boxer. He's much better boxer than anyone else at 130, as far as I can tell. But, dude, to just fucking punt your titles on the scale, that's low-budget shit. That's like, that's not a great look to begin with. And just like the nonchalance about it that they had is, like, oh, I tried. Listen, I'm not saying he should have tried harder only to drain himself to give Conceição a chance. But I just don't buy that, like, that was every effort I could have right. made to make the weight. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. To me, it's like, I'm not going to, I don't think he's going to lose this bout. But I don't think the bout's going to necessarily be all that entertaining. There's nothing Conceição does supremely well. There's a lot. That Stevenson does supremely well, but as we all know, the knock on Stevenson is he doesn't have big power. So I expect him to like just kind of dummy Conceição for basically twelve rounds, and then to just you know kind of punt your titles like that on the scales, dude. A champion should never ever lose his, in this case, two belts should never lose his belt or belts on the scales in this kind of a way. Even if you are, uh, I'm glad. I will say this: I'm glad he's making the recognition that this is no longer an appropriate weight class for him, and he wants to go to 135. These things should still be done in a professional way. Like, what is the excuse for unprofessional? Not making weight is unprofessional, period. It's not It's not professional. So to to not make weight and to just be like, eh, fuck it, you can have my titles. It is what it is. Eh, I don't get I don't get a great vibe if the, if the youth are watching. I don't get good vibes from that kind of a thing. No, it's not a great look, but it does happen... When fighters are young, I, I get your point though. I didn't necessarily love the body language, the reaction. I didn't love that the announcer didn't even like tell the crowd he missed weight. They sort of ho hummed it and then still had them face off, and it kind of spoiled the the excitement I did have for this fight because look, Conceição sneaky good, has that amateur background, tough as nails. I think the only problem with him is not active enough in the rings and tends to look at his shots too often and, and admire them. But Stevenson got in his face in the in the in the post press conference face off. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck you up. He said it to him over and over again. Uh now he's got a little bit of some of that villain heat on him that he's gonna have to turn back. Um I mean he was going anyway. I've got a lot of people in my DMs. MK Superfan Jeff Call wants to tear this guy down and say he didn't even try. Look at his body fat percentage. He didn't even try to make weight. That may have been the case at the end of the day, Luke, but he is gonna have to forfeit part of his salary. Still gonna get the opportunity for tonight. Nine uh I think it's nine PM Eastern is that main card start. But Luke, the maybe I'm maybe I'm covering up in a way any potential disappointment because I want to see this guy now at lightweight. And um he's he was gonna move there anyway, so Dude, I want to find out how great he can be, Luke, because this is a special one. This is one. I, I talked to Devin Haney yesterday, who's got that rematch with the Cambosis coming up next month, and you know he was like, "Look, Shakur's one of the best talents in this entire sport. If he's coming up to lightweight next, let, you know, come on, let's go." Although Haney would prefer Lomachenko next. I mean, the idea that Shakur can now take th- take on this level of challenge at 135, dude, th- th- this is my Super Bowl, brother. Okay, this is what I. This yeah, is what I, I mean, do. listen, there's no. I'll you you can say that he was unprofessional yesterday, and he was. And by the way. Keith Eidick, I think, is he of boxing scene? Yeah, bo- is that boxing he scene, yeah. Yeah, uh, Keith Eidick of boxing scene was writing that, like, you know, usually after someone misses weight, there's like a there's like a relatively quick negotiation in the back about fining and how much the other person will allow to, you know, uh, take the fight based on, like, you, do you have to cut a couple more pounds or not and how much money to give. And this went on for hours after the fight, which is unusual. Conce Sal wanting some more money, I think he got some. So good for him. He deserved it. But like, listen, he is Shakur Stevenson is one of boxing's preeminent talents to just make no mistake about it. But it's unprofessional, low rent shit to just punt your titles on the scales like that. If you want to move up to another weight class, I applaud him. 
I, I recognize that it's important. Do it. You got to do it the right way, man. This yeah. was this was not this was not awesome from him. And we got to have same energy. If we if we came after Chemayev for for his own weight disappointment, yeah, exactly. even with the now, granted, Chimaev missed by a fucking million miles. Yeah. It's a little bit different, I mean, but still. Maybe Chimaev could have talked to people earlier in the week. He said, might not make it this week, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> take notice of that co-main event. Keyshawn Davis, 7-0, and U.S. Olympian, is another guy that a lot of people are talking about that could be one of those next big things. He's facing an eight-round lightweight bout against Omar Tienda. Not a household name, but a... a Guy's got experience and a tough out. Be on the lookout for Keyshawn Davis on his rise. Luke, Saturday on ESPN Plus from Manchester, England. So I know you're not hyped for this, but a lot of our MK UK fans are. It's a big deal out there when Joe Joyce, the juggernaut, the unbeaten heavyweight who stopped Daniel Dubois in their big crossroad showdown, he's going to face former world champion Joseph Parker. Now the secondary trinket of the WBO interim heavyweight title is at stake, but really what that means here is the winner's going to be in the conversation for a title shot, even with the logjam atop the division with Usyk and Fury right now. Uh, Luke, Joseph Parker is much more talented and skilled than Joe Joyce. But Joyce can bang. He's slow and plotting. He's aggressive. He's he's sturdy. Um, <laughs> you don't seem to care here at all, Luke. I, I've been following the buildup. They've been talking that J against one another. I've never been a big believer in Joe Joyce's upper bound limits as we say he's also you know yeah. in his mid to late 30s at this point but this is put up or shut up this is his moment to find out if he's got the goods i almost want to flip it back and say how much do you think joseph parker has left like he hasn't done anything massive since surrendering surrendering his titles to uh, anthony joshua and their unification but he's also you know lingered and and won some fights together is really you don't believe in either guy is that your lack of interest in this fight um I think that there might be a, f I, so what do you want to say here? Um, I think I think Parker could make Joyce work. I do think that's possible. I think you could actually get a decent fight out of this if that's what you're talking about. But like, dude, the gap between guys like this and then the top of the division is fucking massive. Yeah, massive. And so it's not that I don't think that there's any value to the fight on its own terms, especially if you're a UK fan, because this seems to be like a little bit more obvious. Obviously, it's a lot more of a, a UK special in that way, you know? So that's fine. Like, I'm not here to, I'm not here to talk anybody out of it, but do, do these... Do the, let me ask you genuinely. Do these guys excite you? Like, Shakur Stevenson's not a huge power puncher, for example, but his... The sharpness of the detail in what he can do is out of this world. I mean, it's really next level. These dudes are not that. They're not. No, that. I mean, they're not that Joyce at is, all. Joyce is thirty-seven. Luke, he is fourteen and zero with thirteen knockouts. I'll give him respect for stopping Carlos Tackham. He beat Brian Jennings. Yes, he 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 won the aforementioned Dubois fight. But Parker, to me, at thirty and two, the record is on another level. He's still only thirty from New Zealand. Don't forget, Luke, when he was champion, he had a Burger King sponsorship in New Zealand. The ring had a massive Burger King logo. That's so cheesy, awesome that I can't not get behind it. He's won tough fights against Derek Chisora twice and, and and put together a couple wins despite getting sent to hell by Dillian White. Do I think either guy is a threat to win back a title? Not against the guys we have at the top at the moment, no. But I'm going to be taking notice of this fight. I'll tell you what happens on it. Luke, co-main event, Amanda Serrano, who did not get the Jake Paul opportunity on the Rockman undercard, will be defending her trio of featherweight titles against Sarah Mahfoud. 
Uh, or is this a unification? I'm sorry. She brings two world titles. Sarah brings one. Three of the four belts at featherweight on the line when Serrano gets back in there. First fight, I believe, since losing that all-time thriller there to Katie Taylor. Um, is this? Are we building toward a rematch there for next year, Luke? Is that is that your yeah, thought? Yeah, I mean, Sarah Mafood Sarah is, according to our friends at Caesars, a plus 1,000 underdog, Amanda Serrano. Minus twenty one hundred. This is some stay busy shit. Um, yeah. I know it's. I know it's technically on paper more than that, but in, in terms of what it actually means for Amanda Serrano, it's more or less that. So yes, like dude, there, there's there, listen, man. There's no way they don't do a rematch with Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Now, when they do it, and where they do it, and at what weight they do it, all of that remains to be seen. Fair enough. And I know Katie Taylor had a fight announced. I think you indicated that. Uh, there was a big announcement this week for her next uh, return to the to, to the ring, but uh, this is not. This is just, you know, hey, let's stay busy and make some bread and get some more experience, and that's it. Uh, K- Katie Taylor is going to be fighting this fall against the opponent that. I believe that Serrano was supposed to fight on the uh, Rockman undercard, but if we can build to that to next year, look, the first one exceeded expectations and really. Uh, I mean, the, the the it was built up as the biggest fight in women's history, and it lived up to that. I mean, it was, yeah, awesome. It was awesome. Let's let's do it a second time. Finally, in the boxing weekend, Luke Sunday from Curitiba, Brazil. You can pick this fight up on the Fight app. Chris Cyborg gonna make that pro boxing debut. Ten rounds, junior middleweights against MMA fighter also from Brazil, Simone De Silva. Now, De Silva has lost her last three mixed martial arts fights. She's 8-4 and four in MMA. And of note, Luke, she got knocked out in 2017 in the first round by Zhang Wei Li at, under the Kunlun Fight MMA banner. Um, Kun your Lun, car- I think. Kun Lun, yeah, there you go. Risen, rising, uh, I'm here either way. Uh, your interest level in Chris Cyborg stretching out a little. Uh, happy for her. Uh, I hope she gets some good money from it as a boxing uh, event to watch. I won't. All right. Um, in that co-main event, it's an exhibition. He's he's old. He's pushing 50. But look, do you remember Asselino Popo Freitas from Brazil? Great fighter about 15, 20 years ago in the yep. you know featherweight area. Um, spectacular, spectacular fighter. Knockout artist. But look, do you know why his nickname is Popo? Uh, I don't. In Brazil, that's the sound, apparently, of a boy nursing on his mother's nipple. And Asselino and his siblings did that until they were 13. Luke, this is not BC getting weird and making shit up. All right? This he is, was this breastfed is... until he was 13? Well, that's weird, first of all. And his fight nickname is the sound it makes when a 13-year-old is still getting breastfed. Shouldn't they Thank all you. just be in jail? Just all of them? Just the whole Thank thing? You. <laughs> the Thank whole you. Family. All right. Just put him in jail. I mean, what are we doing? Transitioning to topic. By the way, by the way hold oh. on. You didn't say he's taking, he's taking on Jose Landy Johns, who is like a fucking Valet Tudo legend. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Jose Landy uh, has fought like, I think he fought Chuck Liddell. He fought a bunch of fucking guys. Um, he's one of the one of the pioneers from Brazil in Valet Tudo. Yeah, dude, that's a... That's a boxer versus like kind of like an MMA guy match. Absolutely. Uh, I'll be looking for it, Luke. Sunday. Be there. Finally, topic five is our quick hitters. Uh, let's start here, Luke. So this is a little peculiar. Uh, there's a video out there of Bellator CEO Scott Coker talking to BBC Sport about Nate Diaz. He says, quote, well, we are definitely talking to him 
We've reached out, and I know he's probably talking to everybody. He's, I think, in a pretty good situation. I know he wants to fight Jake Paul. Jake Paul is fighting. Jake Paul, excuse me, is fighting Anderson Silva on Showtime pay per view, which is our home network. So there's some synergies there. Luke. Um. Then Ariel Hawani went on to tweet that, like, don't believe the rumors you're hearing about that because Nate is still under this three month window clause where he's legally not allowed to negotiate with anybody. So. Apparently that didn't happen or that shouldn't have happened. Dude, Scott Coker's literally out there just saying things. And here's the best part about it. Here's why he did it. Uh, by the way, did, true or false, did I not indicate that this was true to you 48 hours ago when we had a conversation? Yeah, about you're, the like, you're like, they're not talking to Nate at all. Right. So I, have, I, I spoke to some folks in the industry, and that's my understanding as well, that for the first time, I think on the modern contracts... The UFC decided to activate the 90-day. It's where they have. So the way his contract works is there's a 90-day exclusive negotiating period where he can literally talk to nobody else, um, which is why if you look at Ariel Hawani's tweet, it says it's illegal. He's right. He's 100% right. And then there's the year-long portion where they could match anyone. The question you have to ask yourself first is, why would the UFC... um, why would Nate be the first guy ever for the UFC to invoke this clause? And B, does it really mean they might try to match him for a year so that he can't go anywhere else? They might. They might. It's it's certainly kind of interesting. That's the first thing uh, I'd say. Dude, that opens up a giant can of worms, potentially. Right. Dude, and, we'll, and, and here's the thing. UFC hasn't activated this with anybody else. But I remember, for example, a very different situation, but it's a point I want to make. I... You haven't seen UFC go white knuckle with one of their guys they're beefing with. But I lived through Couture saying he was retiring from his UFC contract and at the time trying to go to HDNet so he could fight Fedor. And dude, when the UFC goes white knuckle, they go fucking white knuckle. They won that whole thing pretty cleanly, even though it took a little while for it to uh, all get worked out. So we haven't seen that in a long time. Is that around the corner? And if so, what will that mean? There's a huge can of worms. But as it relates to, like, with Scott Coker, here's why he said that. I mean, I haven't talked to Scott, so I don't know. But, dude, MMA media will print anything. They will fucking print anything. <laughs> All you have to do is be like, yo, ex-famous relevant person said the moon is made of green cheese. Fucking the moon is made of green cheese. They'll just reprint the shit everywhere they go. So that's why he, why wouldn't you say it? Even if you're not even remotely involved in negotiations, I don't know what the actual state of things are. Again, uh, Nate is under contract with U- with UFC still in this 90-day period. Like, even if that's 1,000% untrue, why would you not say it? They're just going to reprint like fucking stenographers everything you say. And sure enough, they did. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. If you're not benefiting from the Dana White privilege, Luke, you're going to get the Dana White knuckle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The moose knuckle. You're, you're going to get it, all right? You know what I'm saying, Luke? You're going to get the Dana... What's the Dana... Right, let's, walk, let's walk this little joke of yours through. What is the Dana White moose knuckle? Please tell me, BC. I would <laughs> love to You can do know. the math there, Luke. I'm bet- you and I had that talk. I'm trying to clean this show up, okay? <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Uh, Nate would go on to tweet Wednesday, I'm only going to fight The Rock. Otherwise, I'm good. Is he talking about... Dwayne Johnson, or is he talking about uh, uh, recreational drugs, Luke? <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go because you knew <laughs> the answer was Dwayne Johnson. I was All like, right. what other rock could he go to? Oh, drugs. I oh, yeah. <laughs> you know where I come from, Luke. Either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Uh, Luke, let's go to the more quick hitters. Chuck Liddell's wife. Unfortunately, claims he has CTE. This is according to court documents obtained by The Blast. 
from their divorce, which was filed by Liddell three days after he was charged for misdemeanor domestic battery. Luke, anytime this stuff is coming out in the midst of a heated divorce, emotions are high and you have to take that with a grain of salt. But Chuck Liddell also has been through the wars. I wouldn't be surprised. It's sad. It's a sad reality of this game. How do you how do you feel this news? Well, part of this is through, I think, divorce proceedings and, um, you know, as the child of parents who had what can only be described as one of the most contentious divorces I've ever seen. Like, literally, I was thinking about this. I know a bunch of people whose parents also got divorced, and their situation wasn't nearly as terrible as the one I went through. So, uh, having seen that, uh, what I can tell you is either side will say a bunch of shit to damage the other side for any number of reasons. Monetary reasons, custody, who, who the fuck knows, right? So let's just take with a grain of salt anything that's being said in either direction first. Second, I would also caution CTE is something that, that as it stands medically today is only diagnosed after death. Now, you can obviously exhibit signs that give medical uh, professionals strong reason to believe you could have it, but it's only really diagnosable in that sense once the brain has been evaluated um, after they've expired. So we don't actually know if he's got it, but let's also just be real for a second, dude. Chuck Liddell took a fucking mountain of damage and took a mountain of damage long past the point where he shouldn't. Like, honestly, after the Rashad fight, he probably should have called it a quits. And by the time the Rashad fight happened, it told you he was in really, 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 really bad shape. So um, to me, it's like impossible to imagine a scenario where he hasn't suffered significant brain trauma how far it actually has gone and then what real world consequences there are remember this is the middle of of a divorce proceeding or some kind of custody battle or you know two people who are not in alignment with their interests together about a life so you need to be careful about what people are saying but the idea that like chuck could just do what he did in his career and his brain would more or less be okay seems utterly absurd of like, of course he's going to be dealing with very serious consequences. The specific nature of them, I guess we'll have to see over time. Yeah. The Rashad KO loss was the first in four consecutive to end his career. Uh, well, it was Shogun and Rich Franklin and they retired and then eight years later, Luke, I mean, do you remember the Tito fight he just had the, the, Tito. Uh, the golden boy thing? I mean, just yeah. epically awful, awful yeah. in every way. Yeah. And the Rashad fight was three and four fights when you consider the uh, Rampage knockout loss and the uh, the loss to Keith Jardine, which was a sneaky good fight, right? Keith Jardine and, and Chuck, that was not bad. Yes, and, he, and, and also Chuck hurt Jardine a little bit, I think. And uh, the Rampage one, that was like prime Rampage or like pretty yeah. close to prime Rampage. So I didn't mind him losing that one. That was like, hey, that, that is what it is. But dude, after Rashad shut the lights off in Atlanta, it was time. Uh, Luke, Kevin Holland is possibly cryptically shutting the lights off on his career. Here's a IG post he put out that said, quote, had a good run, 30 in a little over a month, got paid, I'm out, next career move, dot, dot, dot. So he's saying he got paid for the Chemayev step up, which, you know, Dana said he didn't, but let's see who we believe. He's not talking about, he's not, he's not, he's just, what is he doing, Luke? Is this some Tyson Fury bullshit? What is he doing? I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I mean, did he, listen, I'm sure that, that, you know, all those guys who the six fighters who switched their whole shit up prior to, after the weigh-ins of UFC 279, I'm sure they had UFC by the balls and they were able to make, you know, 
some money from that. Okay, fair enough. But was it really like I can retire money? I'm skeptical of that. Um, I guess everyone's got different medical, or I should say different financial goals. And I'm sure, again, I'm sure he got paid quite handsomely, but I don't know. That seems a little weird to me. I mean, he's still got a lot of fight left in him uh, from what I can tell. So I I don't, I I don't believe it. I'll just put that way. I don't, I don't actually think he's done fighting. Is this a leverage thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe but, he uh, was. Maybe he, maybe he just. You know, who knows? Having a good day, feeling pretty good, looking at his bank account, thinking, "Do I really want to keep doing this bullshit?" Like I understand yeah. that too. What was McGregor's favorite? Will. McGregor's famous tweet after the. Oh, uh, thanks the, for the cheese. See you later. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, but Luke, he made he made like good money. Actor Tom Hardy is making the headlines here in the combat game. The Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt just won his third straight BJJ tournament. In a month, this most recent one I think was coming overseas. Uh, you care about this at all? This, this is pretty cool, right? I'll say this. I mean, the one thing I don't like is when everyone was like blowing Mark Zuckerberg for training like a goof with some yeah. actual other fighter. And everyone's like, oh, I love this guy. You fucking hypocrite losers. Go fuck yourself. Every one of you berates me about how much you can't stand tech oligarchs running over our life. And then one of them shows moderate interest in the sport. Oh, this is fucking great. You're a fucking hypocrite loser with zero principles whatsoever. So fuck that guy. Tom Hardy, on the other hand, seems like a great dude. I welcome him. I think it's cool. The only thing I I would just slow people's roll a little bit is it's great that he's doing it. He obviously seems to be pretty talented. But, you know, if you go to a gym, like people who compete, they go every weekend to like places all around the like their area. You know, if you compete on those kinds of schedules, like they come like find anyone who is like, oh, I train jujitsu all the time, and then they compete. Like they get gold medals all the time. Like it's not. I don't. I don't mean to say it's a participation trophy because it's not. He does show some ability, but it's not like you know. It's not like he's out there winning ADCC. I just want to be clear about that a little bit. Okay, uh, he's forty-five years old, Luke. He's from London. Do you have a fam- a favorite Tom Hardy acting role up to this point? I know you're a big Black Hawk Ooh. Down guy, right? Um, that's a great. Ooh, that's a great question. Well, he was good as Bane. That's what a bigger role. Yeah, dude. There was, he was a in, movie. He, he was in Warrior, which which you know got a lot of fighting attention, of course. See, he was good in Warrior because he's a good actor. He's good in everything. But Warrior is hella overrated. Um. Okay, I don't remember the name of it, and I'm not even saying it's his best one. T- two of them, two of them. There's one where he plays like brothers with some yeah. other uh, London gangster, and he was like Band of Brothers, the HBO war drama. No, 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 no. He was like he was like a he was like a like a like a mafioso guy, but like London style. And I think it's even based on a true story, um, and he plays the more unhinged of the two brothers, and he's fucking awesome in it. There's another movie where he is this dude driving this whole time. You only ever see him in the car. That's the entire movie. But he makes all of these phone calls because he ends up being a dude who knocked up some other girl, and he has to explain to his family and his job um, why he can't be with them because he has to go take care of this other girl. And, dude, it sounds like it's a, it is a weird movie, but his acting in that, I mean, imagine how hard that is to pull off. you got to be a guy driving in a car for an hour and a half talking about this shit like it's not easy to do i forget the name of the movie he kills it in that yeah. movie he's really really good he was um, in inception dunkirk he's been in a lot of big big movies here Luke. yeah dude guy. tom hardy is an excellent i he i am happy to welcome to the combat sports 
family, but the rest of these okay. fucks can, you know. Um, do, is there any chance Mark Zuckerberg becomes the next John Dupont? <laughs> yeah, he's just gonna go shoot some other wrestler. Um, <laughs> I'll call him Snatchcatcher. How about that, Luke? All right. Uh, okay, hold on. I want to get the name of the. He was in Venom. Venom is kind of stupid. Uh, oh, he was in The Revenant. He was good in that. Uh, Matt. Oh, dude, he was in Mad Max Fury Road. How am I forgetting that? Holy shit. That's a great one. Um, uh, oh, he was also in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is another good movie. Kind of slow, but good movie. What is the name? He's in Wuthering Heights, which, of course, is based off the novel. I'm trying to remember the name of that where he's just on the phone the whole time. But um, Yeah, maybe one of our producers can find it because they're on their phone the whole time too, Luke. So maybe they can just, you know, look it up. That'd be great. All right. Uh, let's keep this going here, Luke. Quick hitters. Uh, Joe Rogan went public and said the oh, language in awesome. his UFC contract reads that as soon as Dana White is done, so is Joe. Your reaction, Luke? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Joe's had the best seat. Joe's had... Serious question. People might think like Dana's had the best job in MMA, but I don't think that's true because he has to deal with a lot of bullshit and he's got long hours and there's travel. It's like, a, who has, this is my question to you. Who has the best job in MMA? It's Joe Rogan. He's had the best well, seat in the house you and I. for 20 plus years. Yeah, Joe Rogan, probably the best one. Yeah. And he gets I to like dress our like job. a bus I boy. love our job, but we don't have the best job in MMA. Like we don't. Um, also, he probably makes a little bit more than we do. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but well, at yeah, least we know. Just, uh, at least we know when push comes to shove, we could take him in the low post, Luke. Okay, <laughs> that's fair, right? Just that dunk on on Joe Rogan. Yeah, uh, Luke. Speaking of Dana, I had sent you that link yesterday. Uh, he gave an interview in which he talked about that there's this super doctor that can do all these blood tests on you and predict. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Predict like to the month at how much time you have left. So that doctor flew in and did all the tests on Dana, and he was told that he's effed up in every single category and that it, he's 53 right now, Dana, and that his life expectation is less than 10 years. No, I thought it was 10.4 years. Oh, sorry. 10.4 years. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who this guy is and how reliable that is, but honestly, would that surprise you? I mean, again, I don't wish it on him, but he got that Meniere's disease, which I think was exacerbated by his lifestyle. Folks don't understand this anymore. Back in the aughts, like right after the Ultimate Fighter hit, before that too, but really after that, like when the demand for UFC began to skyrocket, Dana White went everywhere he could. Every radio station, every newspaper editorial board meeting, every chamber of commerce, whatever it was, to plead the case for his company and for the sport. And he was flying everywhere. He was still promoting the events. This guy was living like the most inadvisable for your long-term health anyway the most inadvisable lifestyle possible. But of course he was on a mission to promote um, the causes that he cared about. And it worked like, look at the, look at the state of the UFC, look at the state of MMA. Like there's no denying that that push played a big role, but dude, you took years off your life doing that. So I, you know, I don't wish certainly bit well, negative he, things upon him. I don't know how good this doctor is, but I'm not surprised to hear that. I gotta be honest. Yeah. He always claims that the training camp for the Tito Ortiz fight that never happened took years off of his life because he wanted to do it legit. So he brought in legit fighters and he said he got effed up like crazy. And uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Luke, if he went to Dr. Kevorky and he would have had about a 10 minute lifespan until the, uh... all right, Luke, uh, there's an injury to Cody Garbrandt, who was already looking for a new opponent after Hani Yaya fell out. So now UFC has outright canceled Garbrandt's return for UFC Fight Night 61. Um, okay, right? Mm. Uh, sure. Okay. 
Uh, October 15th, though, Luke, is going to be UFC Fight Night Vegas 62. And according to MMA Island, how about this for a quick turnaround banger? Daniel Rodriguez versus Neil Magny. You moved by this? Yeah, I got to tell you, um, Daniel Rodriguez, man, he's moving on up, is he not? Like, I know the win over the leech was, you know, had some controversy and it was all last minute and all that kind of crazy stuff, but the but the guy is good. And listen, he's not all that young. What is he, 35, something like that? He's trying to make the most of the time he has left in the sport. I applaud him. Neil Magny is a tough customer. Yep. He's a real kind of guy you can prove yourself against. Should be a fun one. Should be a very technical one. I love that fight. I love everything about this. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I'm in on that. Uh, Luke, two UFC fighters have recently failed drug tests that launched them suspensions. Welterweight Elizu Zaleski gets a one-year ban for Osterine. His quote was, the, the result came as a surprise to all of us. Um, are you surprised? <laughs> I'm never surprised that people either A, legitimately could have been affected by a tainted supplement. That's very common. And then, or B, just took fucking drugs. Like, that's kind of irrational. <laughs> I don't know how all these that. Delta 8s got in my backpack. I really don't, you know. Uh, Luke, also, Askar Mozarov, who was accused of falsifying his pro record ahead of his recent UFC debut against Alonzo Menafield, has received a six-month ban from the Nevada State Athletic Commission for failing a drug test for the WADA band GW1516 cell phone cell phone not cell phone luke cell phone i don't know what that is but I, i'm sure it gets you high right i hope yeah all right i think it, oh, it's, isn't that isn't that like growth hormone i don't i don't really take that stuff luke you know what i mean I, so you know i don't know i need to take that stuff if i'm just if we're gonna go on uh, on a real you know trial run here and just juice luke you think we should bring in Chef Kaz? He could be both our nutritionist. Uh, I don't know if he's got connections in those areas. He can put our like our 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 skin in those weird balls that he has. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen Chef Kaz's weird balls that he puts on his uh, on his muscles and his bones? You know what I'm saying? I do not wish to see Chef Kaz's balls. Wow, that was wrong of me to say that. We love you, Chef. You know what Kaz, we should do you. is like we should just you and I should leave our families for six months. Get get a shitty apartment in Jersey City. That way we could do like six months of in studio shows. Yes. And just and just do all the steroids imaginable that we possibly can, like in the worst medically advisable ways, utterly <laughs> unintelligent use cases. And then and then get jacked as fucking shit. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. I'm in on that. Uh, Luke, every Friday we give the, uh, the the viewer a chance to uh, sling back at us. Morningcombat at gmail.com is where you send in your Wednesday fan subs. But more importantly, every Friday you put us on trial. Does the glove fit? I don't know. Let's find out if we're going to quit. This one's called Dead Wrong. And you better bring Dead your seats, wrong. bitch. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from... Uh, Oh, this guy's about to dead wrong himself. Watch this. This is from Edward Freeman. He says, God damn, y'all old as hell. During the fill in the blank segment last episode, BC asked Luke how many points he would score against Sue Bird. And Luke said he would try to use the Irvin Magic Johnson skyhook, which is dead wrong because that move belonged to Kareem and not Magic. Then BC followed up and said, Dr. J, which is both dead wrong. Keep up the great work. Come to Detroit sometime uh washed ass dads it's edward freeman uh edward you're dead wrong in a few spots here okay 
Luke did ascribe the move to Magic Johnson, but I acceptably said, oh, you mean the the baby skyhook, which Magic used to call the junior, junior skyhook, which became beginning with the middle of his career right around 1987 when Pat Riley uh, asked Magic to ask Kareem if they could lower his output because he was pushing 40 and Magic jumped his scoring up from 18 to about 23 points a game. And a big part of that was the six foot nine guard beginning to develop a post game that really didn't come into full appearance until the 1991 season under new head coach, uh, Mike Dunleavy in which magic was basically working a point forward role from the post. But we all know the skyhook is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's move, but to act like Magic Johnson didn't make the junior, junior skyhook a big part of his offense. I mean, Luke, do we remember that playoff game in uh, the 87 finals against the Celtics at Boston when he hit that running skyhook over Mikhail Parrish and Bird? I mean, what are yeah, we I mean, doing I here? definitely don't remember what it was called, but the idea that Magic didn't use like that hooking shot in the center lane yeah. routinely is not true like yeah not so you know true. what edward freeman you're dead wrong and then luke had made a mention of dr j and i think i repeated dr j but dr j had the 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 cupping dunk that was his move right i mean i mean what are we doing here edward yeah by the way i want to dead wrong myself very quickly you're asking about tom hardy performances uh someone tweeted me here let me tell you they're they're right so i had mentioned he plays like there's these two brothers and he plays the crazy one i forgot he actually plays both brothers the reason he, play, he he's one guy playing both guys at the same time. The reason why I forgot about the other brother is because he's sort of just a relatively normal dude. It didn't really stand out. The crazy guy of the two brothers that he plays, he does an unbelievable job. The name of that, they're, they're called the Cray Twins. This is from the movie Legend. He also recommends the movie Bronson. I have tried to watch the movie Bronson with my wife. I did like it. Very violent and bloody. Very, yeah. Also... Uh, he speaks with such an English accent, like almost, I don't know if it's a Cockney accent or not, I can't remember, but I remember that uh, the way, with the time we watched it, whatever service it was on at the time, didn't have subtitles, and my wife was like, I don't understand a fucking word this guy is saying, so <laughs> <laughs> we can't watch this movie. So, uh, yes, I've watched most of it, but it's pretty good. You're like, don't worry, we don't understand Darren Till either. There you go. Uh, Luke, our producers, Gaff and Corey, want to dead wrong this guy, Edward, for saying come to Detroit, because under their words, why would you ever want to? I like Detroit-style pizza. You like Detroit-style pizza? I've never had Detroit-style pizza. Rafe Bartholomew lives in Detroit randomly enough because his significant other is in med school there. We should go to Detroit and visit one day, Luke. We'll, right? Maybe bring bottle uh, of water? I mean, that's saying, that's saying a lot. I'd rather just... I'd rather just get Detroit-style pizza outside of Detroit. But I will okay. say that Detroit-style pizza is pretty good. It's Rafe, actually, it might be my favorite these days. Rafe said that not far from 8 Mile, there is an Italian joint that was renamed Mom Spaghetti. That's sad. All right. Sad. Uh, this one's from Colin Avery. He says, during fan subs of episode 351, Brian said Mackinac Island, and he's dead wrong. The island and the city are both pronounced Mackinac. Even though the island is spelled differently, I'm willing to forgive a lot of BC's washedness, but as a born and raised Michigander, I had to call this one out. That being said, I'm a P1 fan of the show and hope that all of your gains and hoes stay loyal. Thank you. You know, very respectful Colin Avery here, Luke. You know, a lot of people come in, come down the lane looking to go hard in the paint on us and, and, and dunk. This guy's like, look, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to finger roll. Right. Uh, What? Okay, you've never been fingered by Colin Avery. That, that was that was polite of him. Okay, yeah, I said it wrong. It's Mackinac Island, apparently. I don't. You think I care? 
Are you an Ooper? Is that what you are I mean, calling? Just, put, you're, just you're... put a fucking W there. How hard is that? I know. I know. Seriously. All right. This is from Hawaii's own. Luke, you know this guy, Telvin Kipapa, correct? Yes. Correct? Okay. Aloha, guys. It's your favorite Hawaiian donk. Unfortunately, I have to dead wrong BC. On episode 351, when discussing Francis at about 102 into the video, BC said that Francis is coming off a KO win over Stipe. When he actually is coming off a win over Cyril Gaon, which happened at... You, dude, are you guys listening to me at all? I mean, I know I speak a lot of bullshit. Um, I'll take this as you probably had Arby's for breakfast instead of having your athletic greens. All good, BC. Love you. At least you don't wear a purse like co-host. <laughs> Hope you all have a great day. Aloha. Wow, Telvin redeemed it's himself It's a mochilla, right there. motherfucker. Um, I wasn't saying that was... I mean, I'd have to hear the tape. There's a, very possible that I'm just an asshole. But I thought I was saying... A distinct reference to if Francis had been coming off directly that knockout of Stipe, then the UFC would be doing everything in their power to resign him and make him happy. But given the injuries, given the time off since the win over Cyril, I feel like Ghan has lost some leverage. That was the point. If I misrepresented that, which I often do, apparently, Luke. I mean, look, you've got a long history of accidentally pissing people off by saying things in the wrong frame. Maybe me too. Yeah, the other part, too, is that folks don't understand if when you have a job like this, sometimes in your mind you say something, and then the way you articulate it isn't quite exactly what you had in your mind, but you don't remember it that way, and then you hear it back, you're like, okay, right, but I didn't mean it necessarily like this. There's there's an asymmetry between the thoughts you cook up and the way you articulate it, especially if you just talk as much as we do. Yeah, there you go. All right, this one's from Victor Sanchez Castro. Uh, on Luke's live chat. Well, Luke, we're really bringing your personal channel into this dead wrong. I, listen, I didn't. I I don't field these emails. So whoever put this in there, I, you know, you don't blame me. Well, hopefully Victor Sanchez Castro entered the super chat, Luke, and helped paid for Tuki's schooling. Right? Hopefully. Tuki goes to public school. Fuckface. <laughs> all right, all right. Look, sorry, to, sorry to disrespect your family there. Uh, Victor says on Luke's live chat, he said that Karam Gabber is that right? Karam, Karam. Karim I can't Gabber pronounce it either, yeah. won an Olympic gold medal in 04 and a silver medal at Athens in 2012. This is dead wrong, my friend. The 2004 Olympics were held in Athens and 2012 was in London. Take the oh, L. Oh, Jesus Christ. Take the L and sit on it, you washed pile of garbage. Wow. <laughs> Love the show. It's Victor. Wow. All right. I didn't mind. The, in the insult's good. I like the insult. but uh, yeah. I mean, this is very pedantic, but okay. Wow, we got a lot I'll of these. The Dead wrong. Say this one's from William Kerr. You think he's related to the smashing machine, Luke? Could be. Could be. He says on MK350 at two hours and three minutes during BC's feces, a woman fell to the ground while riding her scooter. However, the so-called book-read intelligent philosopher said she fell to the floor. What kind of degenerate vaping hillbilly poser still doesn't know the difference between the ground and the floor? Just kidding. Okay. Don't get your standing up while you wipe underwear in a twist. <laughs> Luke, that's um That's a good that's, one. That's a good one. So he claims it's his name is Thomas Brady the third, but then he says in case it's challenged, the Oxford English Dictionary says the floor is the lower surface of a room on which one may walk, but the ground is the solid surface of the earth. And then it says from William Kerr. I don't know who sent this email, Luke, but that's pedantic as shit, right? I know, but the, well, here's why I'll accept this L, because he made it funny as shit, so I'll, okay. I'll take that L. All right, our final one comes from Adam Parsons of Toronto, Canada. He says, Hi, BC. Although I appreciate you showing me love on the broadcast, 
The idea that a gaffer is an unimportant job is dead wrong. They are in charge of all the lighting and work closely with the director and DP to craft all shots. Well, where I come from, DP means much something much different. What you're thinking of are PAs who are also very important but have different tasks like garbage duty, setup, teardown. By the way, I'm a sound mixer on the show, which your Malka friends will tell you is a key position once they put their phones down. Wow. What show is he a sound mixer on? Ours? No, he's not, right? Who the hell's Adam Parsons? He doesn't work on our show. I mean, Luke wouldn't know either way, but Dude, I, I our... can't honestly, I couldn't I couldn't name three people on staff. All right. I know Filthy Phil just left and I'm heartbroken. Also, what the fuck is a key grip? You ever seen those? They yeah. come up in the credits of movies like key grip. Yeah, like Best Boy comes up in the credits in the movies too. That's that seems a little, you know, that's a lot. All right. Manich, can they hear you? Right, they gotta man. hear you, bro. They gotta see this yeah, is what, what we this is this is the content that the fans need to hear, man. I mean, they used to see Jay Aaron's face. Can we see yours, Manich? All right. Manich, All right, everyone's everyone Manich is better at us because we just call everyone producers when there's like different roles. But yeah. you know, I mean y'all are fucking producers. Like that's what it Some is. of you are food producers, right? You make sure we get our, our meal in. There you go. All right. Thank you. Thank you to our great staff too. Luke, we close on Friday sometimes to kill a little bit of time and have some fun with a no holds barred segment that we call MK Happy Hour. So tip your waitresses. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There it is. All right, Luke. What are you start. doing? Where are you going? Uh, I'm grabbing my my drink for happy hour, Luke. What is that fucking orc juice? Oh. Are you doing a bit? A little bit. A little bit of a bit there, Luke. All right. Uh, Luke, MK hey, happy I hour watched, time. On, real quickly, I watched the first episode of Andor on Disney+. Plus. My kids Did told me this morning yet? that we need to start watching that this weekend, so I will be watching that with them. What are your early curious. thoughts? Okay, so here's what I'll say. Like... um, I didn't care for the Obi-Wan series because it was like, as we talked about, it was like half well-produced and then half like they spent $5 on the fucking scene and Flea is running around on like, you know, a community college fucking AV club set. Yeah, he's got Um, a sock on his cock. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's just the worst. So, So I didn't love that. Mandalorian I like a lot. Book of Boba Fett is for simpletons. Uh, Let's be very clear about that. And uh, so this one. Okay, I've only seen one episode. I think there's three out now. It's definitely very well made. Very well made. Uh, and the, uh, the the lead actor, it's Diego Luna, right? That's his name? I think that's his name. I could be wrong. I'll double check. I'm looking it up now, Luke. I figure I should yeah. do a little bit of background on this. The, the right? guy who plays Cassian. Um, yes. I think his name is Diego so Luna. Is this related? This is related to Rogue One, right? Because that's where Correct. that's the the role that Correct. Diego. And that's this is the, this is like a precursor to Rogue One, and that's arguably the second best Star Wars movie ever made. Luke, let's be fair about that. It's got a lot of fan service, but it's a good movie. But what I would say is this: it's a little slow. It's very well made. It's very well acted. They definitely put in more effort than they did on the Obi Wan series for sure. Um, and it's got a lot, it's got, I think it has more potential. So I want to see how the next two episodes go, but I got to tell you, bro, I'm, I just like, I'm a little bit out on star Wars now. Like, Oh, we're going to fight the empire. I'm like, I don't really give a fuck 
that you're fighting the Empire anymore. It doesn't mean... Like, let the Empire win. I just don't... I don't really give a shit, to be quite oh, wow. candid with you. Like... Wow, all right. <laughs> they don't really invest me in the struggle uh, in so far in Andor. So, there's got... It's got potential. I guess we'll see. Look, that's slow. a timeless a struggle. Slow. Good versus evil, right? Us versus yeah, them. but, like, Andor is... We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I'll watch it and get back to you. I did like Obi-Wan, despite some of those production issues we talked about. Um, I have yet to see the Boba Fett one. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. Fett. Yeah. Anxious for a new Mandalorian season. Um, you know, is it overkill in general? Oh, hell yeah, it is, Luke. But it's a, you know, it's a money making boon. But I will say this. The totality of the spinoff projects in this new era with George Lucas out. Dude, it's so much better than like episodes one to three and even though people have a lot of love for those cartoon series and look i watched half of that rebel season it was good i think that pre the presentation of these is like some of the best shit star wars has ever done right i mean it's gritty it's right i mean like rogue one opened up a new idea of what a war what a star wars war movie could look like yes yes it's also a lot of fan service for dorks um that's a big part of it too but but it was entertaining. It was. It felt a little bit different. It didn't feel so Jedi versus Sith all the time. Although there's that one dude who was like, "I am with the Force. Forces with me." I'm like, "Yo, shut the fuck up, bro." No, no, dude. Shut that the guy, that fuck samurai up. Jedi. That guy's one of the coolest characters there ever was, Luke. Nah, nah. Oh, Get the right. fuck out of here with that. But, uh, but you know, it definitely has. It definitely has some charm. I enjoyed it. I've watched it several times since. I really enjoyed it. But is that guy in this series? No, that guy died who? in Rogue One. Well, since it's a precursor, but no, the only one, again, I'm only one episode in. The only one I've seen thus far that is a carryover from Rogue One would be Cassian. That's it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Luke, big news that seems to be fluid. I'm a Celtics fan, so this matters to me. First year coach, Aimee Udoka, who led the Celtics to the finals last year and in defeat, but a, a big midseason turnaround. He's suspended for the whole damn year for a consensual, inappropriate. Well relationship well. with a female staffer so luke the immediate and i was part of this immediate like a year suspension for something that i know is an hr violation i believe me i get it but a year but then people are saying look the coach didn't dispute it he said he accepts it all we find out that the team was actually willing to fire him now it seems like does it feel like things are going a little deeper now that, that like there's a lot of truth that did not come out in the story it seems I mean, it's just weird to me that, like, when the reporters initially started reporting this, that they said that this was a consensual relationship, but they had no other details about what had happened. It's like, why are you so confident in the detail that it was consensual, but you have nothing else to report about it? That seems a little odd to me, personally. And then, sure enough, we find out that this morning... I think it was uh, was it Shams who reported it over from uh, Stadium that um, is he on Athletic too? Yeah, he's on both. I think, but he he ends up reporting that it may have been consensual at one point, but then eventually it turned out to not be, and that he ended up sending messages where the person in question here, whoever this woman is on staff, that she was not not threatened but like uh, harassed in some kind of way. Are you talking investigation. like? Brett Favre, Jen Sturger type level here? I don't know. Jen Sturger follows me on Twitter, I think, or whatever. Her, she changed her last name. She got married or something. But um, I don't know if it's on that level. We don't have... This is my point. We don't have any of these details. But, like, 
they rushed out being like, well, it was consensual. But if it's consensual, why would you suspend a guy for a fucking year? This is like the weirdest punishment on earth because it's like, if someone is deserving to be suspended for a year, you might as well just fire him, but they didn't fire him. So what did he do that where it's kind of like bad enough to not lose your job, but be inactive basically for a year, but not bad enough to get fired? I guess this is it. Um, this dude, what's what's the coach's name? I forget his name again. Uh, I mean, Udoka, who people Udoka, need to realize Udoka. has been engaged for, I believe, a decade to... To, to Nia to Long. Nia Long, who's, who's still got it, Luke, you know? Dude, I mean, Nia Long is a treasure. Like, I'm like, dude, you got greedy. You got real greedy. Like, you, I mean, to punt on that is shocking. Yeah, give to the needy, right? You've been eating long enough now, right? That was a deep cut. Very good DMX reference. Sorry about that. Yeah, I just couldn't Um, believe it. But Brett Favre is the bigger story to me. Well, before we transition to that, and I think it's connected in the way that rightfully when the news first came out about Udoka, people are going like, so the African-American man's getting the one-year suspension and everyone else is sort of getting nothing for, you know, worse offenses. But there does seem to be deeper details. Um, I agree with you that if it's that severe, just fire already. But... The fact that he just came out and accepted it does t- tend to tell you that there's deeper details there, but that that's going to hurt the team in a big way, although that's not the primary story, obviously, at this moment. But the Brett Favre thing is weird, Luke. So I don't know how we got here, but he's being accused of defrauding welfare in the state of Mississippi, upwards of $5 million is like, how does he? How is he even in a spot to do that? Uh, through connections from with the former governor and then folks who are in charge of, um, well, it's a whole little network that he was working with. Uh, but basically the idea is he was paid 1.1 million in speaking fees for talks he never gave. My understanding is he had to return that money, but then the other part, the 5 million, he didn't pocket that, but it went to the university of Southern Mississippi where hello, he went and his daughter now goes who plays volleyball there. So they can have a new facility. I mean, dude, you are talking about the fucking scummiest behavior. Um, not imaginable, but just, I mean, real. Abso- like, dude, Brett Favre's a dirtbag, right? Sending dick pics to Jen Sturger and then taking yeah. money that was supposed to go to welfare funds. Like the neediest people. And again, remember, Mississippi, the poorest state in the union. The poorest state in the union. $5 million so that your alma mater where your daughter plays, who's probably had the most charmed life imaginable, could have a new recreational facility. And by the way, I don't know if you know this detail, the funds as they are constructed, they can't go to brick and mortar uh, construction. They, they, you have to find another way. So they cleverly worded the contract to be basically like a sublease. So okay. they could actually make that happen because you wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. So, like, dude, the levels of duplicity, then, you know, to say nothing of who you're taking money from to do this is fucking mind-blowing. Well, mind-blowing. I'm, unfortunately, I'm used to this having coming from areas, both the town I'm from and the city next to it, where it's a regular thing for the mayors to end up in jail at the end of their term for misappropriation of funds or taking <laughs> hand. I mean, look, the history is there. It's like one after another. I mean, when I was a kid, RIP, the late mayor, Bill Rado went to jail for a bribe, came out, got reelected at age 80. I mean, it's just ridiculous, Luke. But in this case, it was the, uh, the former director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services entered a guilty plea for misdirecting more than 70 million in total welfare. So funds. that was yesterday. Yes. And 8.1 million of those 
are directly related to Favre, $5 million to the construction of a volleyball building at the alma mater, Southern Mississippi, and $2 million for a pharmaceutical startup that Favre has been an investor. So Favre repaid $1.1 million for the uncompleted speaking engagements. That's Obviously, right. we don't know... I mean, we don't know to the full level, Luke, of of uh, his involvement on there, but it does. Dude, have you read the text messages? No, are they are oh, they awful? He yeah. is all intimately involved, including to uh, a point where he's asking one of his intermediaries involved on the government side, um, "How are we sure the media won't find out about this?" <laughs> like, dude, I mean, caught re- he, dude. He he might be in big trouble. Okay. He might be in big trouble. This is. This is not just, you know, a gross piece of shit thing where you're it's you're like, oh, like an so MMA. This is worse where it's like, than than Martha Stewart and Aunt Becky from Full House. This is worse than that. Oh yeah. I mean, here's the thing, like Aunt Becky from Full House, they definitely fucked over people who were more deserving, but that was like rich people just trying to like game their way in for, you know, to look nice in rich people's society. And again, that means it was at the expense of people who might have been middle class or even poor or deserving, but that's not so widespread. I mean, it's not great, but it's not so widespread uh, in terms of the overall effect it could have, you know, individually. But this is like, Jesus, man. You're, I mean, you're taking from the need, the, observably the neediest people in the neediest state in the, in the country. Also, your daughter could have a nicer environment to go play her fucking meaningless volleyball career. Wow. Boy, yeah, you, you I, really I have to think. You, you basically have to think everyone around you, other than the people who enable your lifestyle, are peasants. Absolute scum, you know? You know, famous people with control love sending stick pics to, to women. They love it. Like, that was ever, never a part said, of a culture a I subscribed pic? to. You ever no. Send a I don't know. I don't even, you know, no, no, Luke. Have you, I, oh, by the way, you you totally offered that out as if you have, and I don't want to know. No, any of no, that. no. I'm not stupid enough to leave digital footprints that uh, like like old Brett Favre can. Like you got to be careful out there. But um, I definitely know dudes who've done it, dude. I know so many guys who have purchased like time with whores and stuff. I mean, I know. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're you're Marine buddies, right? Soldiers fill the hotels on the weekends. We know what they do there. All oh, right, dude, like, well, support the troops. I'm like, well. Most of them, yes. Not all yeah. of them. Let me let me yeah. assure you. Uh, Luke, something I missed in the uh, in the quick hitters was Javante uh, Davis going to have a December twelfth trial after a yep. judge rejected his plea deal in that twenty twenty hit and run in which he was caught on tape in Baltimore, leaving the scene of an accident in which he was driving. Uh, we were under the idea that a December pay per view return is potentially in play. I wonder how this affects that. But uh, oh, right, that's the justice well, he had, system. He playing had, out. The, the story there was that he had had a plea agreement with the prosecutors to avoid jail time and and it did involve like a couple of months of like home confinement, right? Some, you know, community service and some other stuff they would have to have to pay a fine and shit like that. But, uh, he was going to avoid jail time. The judge rejected it. The judge was like, no. So now he has to go before a jury. Yeah. Quick update. Um, do an update. YouTube has been having major issues with their live streaming across the board for the past, five to ten minutes i've been sorting it out in the background trying to hope it would come back so we just got a new link up just so you know we're live on a new link so the viewers are all transferring over so if you guys just there's going to be pieces that we'll have to re-upload all the live streaming on youtube essentially crashed so we're back up on a secondary link and the show is now being watched on a new live link i I got i got a feeling that it's not exactly by all that many people yeah yeah 
Well, then maybe we should. There was like 1,300 viewers, so they're transferring back over, and I just wanted to give you guys the update. We're right. slowly getting people over to the new link. Uh, Luke, do you know what I'm going to try to do this weekend? Luke, yeah. Um, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, do you, have you heard about this David Bowie documentary that's being played in IMAX theaters across the country right now? Of course I have not. Okay, it's called Moon Age Daydream, and apparently there's this real artsy director who was given the blessing of a still-alive Bowie before his death to to sort of undertake this project. And I'm told you have to see it in IMAX, and that it, you know, if you're a Bowie fan at all, or interested or curious, that the combination of concert footage and, and Bowie, you know, narrating his own life before his death there is riveting, artsy, and transcendent, Luke. That's not going to lead you to uh, to purchase a ticket. I got to see it. I got to see it, Luke. No, no. I did take my wife and daughter to the. We have a Frida Frida Kahlo exhibit here in DC, um, like a little like a pop up museum to her life and artwork. Okay. I took my. I took. I took Tukster and my wife to. It's pretty cool. Did Tukes cool. enjoy it, or is she just like, where's the? She did. They had a lot of stuff for children. She got her face painted. And then we pulled up. So it's funny. Funnily enough, the day we went, the uh, ambassador from Mexico to the United States was there, right behind us. And they had oh. a whole like security detail and everything. Well, just randomly that we, we we happened to go at the same time. So when we pulled up and parked the car, dude, they had mariachis playing outside. Man, if you can't get busy with mariachis, fuck your life. Like that's a good yeah. time. So Isn't Tuki it, loved the mariachis. Dude, I get fired up at the Mexican restaurant when when you don't know the mariachi band is there, and then the, suddenly they're there, Luke. Okay, and it's on. You know, I'm into that. Yeah, you know what's weird is in uh, it, mariachis should be. I want to be very explicit about this. That is a very. It's a Mexican thing. To be clear, that's like that's that's what it's their invention to the in among many other things into the musical world. But in Colombia, when you are serenading a girl, like if once you do it like in a very serious way, you have to bring apparently mariachis to serenade her outside her window. My wife has often told me that that's a thing I've not done sufficiently for her. Oh wow. Yeah, See, yeah. In the states, we have that tradition where you have to ask the old crusty dad for permission. In Colombia, they're like, "No, just hire a band. You're good." And forget hire the boombox, John Cusack. You know, just hire the band. I mean, well, uh, for you, our the day before we got married, for my wife and I, we went to a uh, like a party that our family threw for us, and they had mariachis there. It was fucking uh, great. Could they play "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. no, but they they would play all the hits that mariachis play. So it was good. Okay. Uh, Luke, I, I caution into this conversation, but um, you listen to any good music lately? Am I listening to any good music lately? Um, nothing new. Nothing new. Um, no, I can't. I mean, I'm listening to what I normally listen to, but there's nothing that I've really found that really got my attention. Why? Did you find some gems? Well, I'm always finding gems. That's why we have a once in a while segment called vinyl intercourse i'm trying to bring back luke because you know apparently there's t-shirts that you can buy on the website for that i didn't i didn't okay that but whatever but uh so you're like no just the same old hate that's what i'm listening to i mean look you listen to hate music not exclusively okay if it's not death metal is it automatically um reggaeton no it's more so like hardcore rap Okay. That's the vast majority of what I listen to is metal All and, right. and, and rock. All right. I, you know, I, I guess I'm much more easy listening than you, Luke. Not that I spend all my time in the yacht rock zone, but, you know, okay. Well, I mean, you know, one of us is a fan of the Indigo Girls and one of us isn't. And that, one of that, us has a car that says that to the world. 
Despite the color of my car, that is not me at the end. Dude, my car fucking yesterday broke down. I've I've had this car since 2015. Never had a problem with it. So it's 2015, so it's 2022. I've had this car seven years, right? Have never taken it to the shop because it never needed it. Obviously, I've kept the oil changed and everything else like that, but never had an issue with it. And uh, so yesterday, I was actually going to retrieve stuff from my office across town, and as I'm pulling into the garage, it just shuts off. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then it comes back on, and then I hit the gas pedal a little bit more, and then it shut off again. And I was like, dude, I cannot have my car stall out inside the garage where, like, the ceilings are really low and shit. Like, how am I going to get it out? And so I just turned right around, and I was able to make it home. But now I don't know what I'm going to do with my ride because it's all jacked up. You should buy a new car, Luke. That's what I told my wife, dude. But, like, with the supply chain issues and everything else, the price of cars is, like, out of this world so i don't really know what we're gonna do so speaking of cars i i've i've been thinking about my old guy pivot let me let me set the stage luke my dad's a motorcycle guy owns a crap ton of them rebuilds them from from the you know from the bones into whatever old school style he wants has won awards been featured in magazines that's his life likes to get on the open road on the motorcycle i get it luke i'm a sunday drive type of guy right windows down sunroof open some rock jacked up I was thinking about the other day, you know, I'm probably never going to get on that motorcycle to the chagrin of my father. It's just not my thing. But I wonder, despite the image of a piece of shit ponytail wearing divorced dad buying a convertible to try to feel like he's still cool, I might be a convertible pivot guy in my late 40s and 50s. Now, A, do you think I can pull it off? And I'm not talking about high price because I'm cheap. You know me, Luke. I'm talking about like a, you know, an economical convertible. Is this a good direction for me, given how much I love the open road, the scenic country drive, you know, driving too fast on the on the curvy roads with the music blasting? Could you see this being a uh, will this enhance my my midlife crisis at all? You will die. You will In a convertible. Die. OK, right. you may not die in the convertible, but um, I think it'd be sad. I think it'd be sad. I think buying a convertible in your mid forties is some sad shit. Oh, Unless you've had convertibles before. Like I hope they come with hair dye, Luke, because it all goes together, right? It, it, it's look, it's it's looking at at your lot in life at the moment and trying to do something aggressive to tell everybody that you're still got something left in the tank, Luke. No, it's just you trying to be. Do when people buy shit like that, it's them trying to cheer themselves up. That's what it is. You're trying okay, but to be what like, would be oh. a cool? Because look, I'm not going like the BMW Benz level. I can't afford. I'm not that guy, Luke. I don't want like a Mazda Miata either, because that just says you're, you know, that says things. What about like a Mini Cooper convertible? Lamb, oh, lamb get, get fucked. You ever driven a Mini Cooper? No, I haven't. I haven't. I drove one one time, you know, because they have like a shared car service here in the city. So I was like, ah, let me just go try one of these things. They got like a weird key entry and shit. It's not that fun. It's really, it's really not that cool. Plus, you're, so, you know, you're a tall guy. It's like it's but not, I've always it's not had built an, for you and me. An affinity for small cars for some reason, you know, fast small cars with a little bit of balls, but like, you know, great in the snow, great gas mileage, still efficient, but you know, a cool edge like my orange Subaru Crosscheck. Dude, your car, I mean, I gotta tell you, is the no fucking section. I oh, mean, get out of here. Get out Dude, of here. That, that car is, I mean, whatever cool is, your car is the opposite of that. It's the worst car on earth. I want to be very clear about that. I mean, it's fine as a way to like get from point A to point B, but like as a like what it says about you and shit, 
it says that you have absolutely packed it in and you really are just waiting for the sweet whisper of death in your ear. <laughs> okay, that's extreme. But that does sound like if that's my reality and I don't know it yet, a pivot to a convertible, I could do worse than, than that. Seriously, right? what's a quite like what's a car that you and I could buy, right? Where it would be considered I'm gonna I'm gonna be very clear about the way I word this. Reasonably cool, reasonably cool, but we weren't trying too hard. Like what's that? What's that lane that we could get in? Definitely not an American sports car. That would be trying too hard, right? Like a muscle car, you mean? Yeah, like if we went out and bought like a souped up, like a Mustang Cobra or whatever. Yeah, the fuck. that'd be that'd be like, but like uh, somebody who is cool can pull that off, right? Like I assume Mike Piazza is driving around in something like that. I'm like that guy can do that, right? He ain't that cool, but yeah, he's cooler than us. Get out um, of here. I I feel like what about this? What about like a Range Rover? I mean, I mean, that'd be a little expensive, but like if we got one, would we be would we be tryhards if we got a Range Rover? Would yeah, we? I think that's a little bit tryhard. I mean, you you seem oh, like really? the type of guy, given your size and the the size of stature you uh, you know assume on yourself, that I could see you pulling up in just a gas guzzler, just an absolute like no. I want to get my, I want to get an electric car. I want to get an electric car. Oh, okay, okay. Do you do you know who MKBHD is? Uh, at morning combat. Uh, big. No, I don't. I don't. Big huge dongs. <laughs> yeah, big huge dongs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he is a guy, Marquez 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 Brownlee. He uh, he's one of the most famous uh, tech YouTubers out there. Like he's got you know like ten plus million followers, whatever the fuck. Just a, a gazillion. He's a little bit different than some of the other ones though, because they all do like the new Apple thing, the new iPhone review. He does those too, but now he's got a separate channel on like cars. But like the future of cars, like the like a lot of like the what Tesla is up to, and like so one thing he's been reviewing is he reviewed one of the new Ford trucks. That's, I think it's called like the F one fifty Lightning, and so it's all electric F one fifty. Dude, these things are unbelievable. There's like electrical sockets you could power your fucking house literally from your car. And one of the cool things is they now have what's called frunks. So because you don't have a com uh, a a a you no you no longer have a combustion engine basically you just have an electric car they don't need all that space in the front so you not only have the truck bed in the back you're at the front of the car where you would or ordinarily to pull the hood it's just open right there and you can fill it up dude you could make a f I mean you could ha you could have epic like you went to camping at all or whatever you could fill that motherfucker with everything you want dead bodies hookers the whole nine yards you could fill that thing with and take it all across town and it looks amazing and it's got electrical plug-ins everywhere i want something i i, I can't an f-150 on the streets of washington dc is a no-go like there's gonna be no parking for you anywhere but like that idea that electric kind of idea like the next wave of cars that's what I want. And I, okay. I, you know, what about a Tesla? But Teslas, man, I don't know. They're kind of overrated. Yeah, Jay Aaron kind of ruined the idea of a Tesla, right? Yeah, I know. Jay Aaron's like, I just go to bars, get drunk, and then just plug in my address and then just fucking sleep in the front seat like a degenerate piece of I shit. Mean, I mean, I don't know if we should be sharing stuff like that publicly. But look, that's, I've that's, always... a, that's a rumor I heard. That's a rumor I heard. I don't, you know, I'm not a car guy and you can tell how lame I am just by looking at me, but I've always believed my dream car is the uh, is the Cadillac STS, which they stopped making a decade ago. That that four-door luxury sedan with that big engine and you know do you have one luke that you're like you know if i get a little if we if this show starts taking off a little bit more i mean i get your idea of pivoting to electric and feeling like you're helping the environment while still looking cool but do you still have that one like damn if i could get well, see, there here's I'd the be thing cool. i don't even want to pivot to electric to like help the environment that's not really my 
I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't really know. I thought I you wanted to want... leave the earth a better place for Tukey. That's what I thought. You know? I definitely do. But like my main motivation in getting one of those cars would be. So, okay. I mean, we should, we've, I don't know if we've ever really talked about it. Maybe we have. Maybe it's been a while. I've only ever had shit cars. Now, the one I have now is a perfectly fine car. In fact, the car I have now, I bought. It was the first time I ever bought a new car. I'd only ever bought used cars previously. And I had some fucking beaters. The fact that I avoided virginity, given the cars that I had, frankly, is a minor miracle, to be, to be quite honest with you. Dude, I had, I've told you this before. The first car I ever had, my brother and I had to share. And the only reason I eventually inherited it is because he went off to college. He was two years ahead of me. So, like, when he was a senior, I was a sophomore. It was a Chevy Corsica that my dad bought for, like, I want to say three and a half grand, maybe four grand. And this was a while ago. This was like 1996 or something. But the only reason why we were able to get it is because my dad went to one of these auctions where they take the cars from like drug dealers or people who commit crimes or, or whatever. <laughs> By the way, that's such a your dad move. And I don't even know your dad. Oh, and I yeah. know that's a your dad. Yeah, move and my right dad there. bit on this. This motherfucker had power, nothing. Every window had to be rolled down manually. Didn't even in 1996. Didn't even have a cassette player. Like, it was either AM or FM radio or fuck your life. You know, that kind of shit. And, uh, you know, just no frills, nothing. Absolutely zero pizzazz to this fucking car. And then uh, we got in a point where my brother barreled into a car in front of us. And it wasn't a wreck in the sense we damaged the other guy's car. But he had, like, a tow hitch on the back of the truck. And it, it, it like, took the front of the hood and, like, pushed it up. So whenever we would go fast... You know, there's a lid on the hood. You have to pull, you have to pop the hood and then you have to pull the lid and then it goes up, right? So the popping part was already done. The only thing that was holding it was just the clip on the lid. So when we would go fast, the hood, it wouldn't obstruct the vision, but it would, it would, it would rise. And everyone That's would like be Tommy like, Tommy boy, dude. That's great. Yeah. And everyone would be like, dude, why is your car a pirate? Cause it looked like the, the car was going like, like this the whole time and shit like that. And then. I go to college. I dude, that car. I told you this is the one I had to emergency brake one day and just left that bitch on the side of the road and had it towed. Yeah. Never saw it again. Followed it up with a car after I left New York City and came back to DC with just an absolute piece of shit car that cost me maybe five grand to buy. And every time I would turn left, it would billow smoke into the air like a 19th century fucking oil baron, you know, uh, company. And uh, an old lady uh, down the street hit me once and was I wasn't able to recover anything. Never had a car after that until I bought this one. I've never had like a, like a ride, like a fucking, this ride is sweet, you know? I've never had one of those fucking things, man. I want, I want one of those, you know? No, I, every man deserves that at least once, Luke. And if I get the convertible, don't make fun of me. I wanted to close with this story, Luke, because I got to interview a fighter shortly. But I went to the skin doctor after Friday's MK episode. And oh, I had- Oh, dude, they look at, when they look at your skin- Bro, they look at the backside of your ball bag. Oh, they, oh, there. I go once they a year for that checkup. We talk there. about that. I feel yeah. bad. That it's like a young lady working, and it's like you know, they're like, no, we have to see it, sir. We have to see every inch. Dude, I didn't tell you this. So I, I my wife sent me in real quickly. Hold on, my wife's like, you need to go get your skin check because it's just what you got. No, no, no. Sorry, I went to the dermatologist. And I got some skin tags. I got to get removed, and she saw something on my ear. She's like, you should get that checked out. And so I went to go get it checked out, and they were like, sure enough, um, you know, you're fine. This is okay, but like, we need to do a full on body scan. So they're like, okay, get down to your underwear. I'm like, eh, cool, nah, no worries. So like, you know, they're looking at my arms, and like, you know, raise your arms, looking at your armpit and stuff. Dude, my man doing the thing, 
just takes my underwear and then pulls it off. Oh, and then gosh. Starts, and then starts. He didn't announce to me. He's like, okay, now I'm going to be pulling this up because I need to look. He just started. We just, you know, like the like the bin of vinyl CDs. He was just rifling through <laughs> to see what he could find. I'm like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Vinyl CDs, first of all. But okay. Yeah, Sorry, not vinyl CDs. But you know what I'm saying? Vinyl records. Vinyl records. He's just in the crate digging. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's like, I'm here. You want a prostate check? Yeah. So, Luke, I had gone a year ago. I think we talked about this. I was getting some, you know, piece of shit old guy skin tags all over my under eye here. And I didn't want that to become a thing, Luke, right? I had them on my neck. I got them all burnt or frozen and cut off. And it hurt like shit. And it cost like 500 bucks. It was ridiculous. It doesn't hurt at all. Okay, well, let's talk about this. So I had, I ended up, let's get really gross. I ended up in each armpit having a bunch, okay? So the lady works out a deal with me. She's like, I'll charge you for each armpit as a total, totality. It'll be like 250 total, cosmetic in and out the door. I'm like, all right. I don't want to be that gross guy in the summertime. So look, I'm sitting like this in the, in the chair. There's like four different females in there because there's like the assistant, the college senior who's like doing, you know, student teaching that's there and all that stuff. And dude, they got to put a needle. I had like 10 in each arm, but they had to put a needle in every single one and then shave that thing off. I felt everything. I was in, I, I remember telling the doctor, I'm like, this is the second most vulnerable I've ever been besides my vasectomy, which I also felt everything. And Luke, I could see the look on their face in that moment as if like, we don't usually have people squirm on this level, sir. And you're a 44 year old man. And I tried to cut it off and tell them, look, I know what you're thinking. I have the worst pain tolerance of anyone you've ever seen. Our viewers probably not surprised by that, but maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I have the most sensitive pain tolerance you've ever seen because I not only felt that burning needle into the skin tag, I'm feeling you cut it off. She's like, you're feeling it. You're not supposed to feel it. I go, yeah, that's what the vasectomy butcher said too. So Luke, maybe I'm actually the toughest guy, you know, because I just feel things more. It is possible. It is possible. Do people have different tolerances? And I don't think it's because everyone is a weakling. I think it's because some people just feel it a little bit differently. But um, I had one of my, I have, I have more I have to get off, but I got one removed. I got two removed. And it only stings for like a second. After that, it's no big deal. No. By the way, if, that, if you can't tolerate that, a tattoo would absolutely blow your fucking mind. I think it would blow my mind. I don't know what's going to happen here. Is Sean Brady going to beat Bilal? We'll have to find out. Dude, Luke, if but... he fucking, we, listen, let's end on this. If What are we going to do? Serious question. What are we going to do if Sean Brady beats Bilal Muhammad? Because I don't know what the odds are. That is a, you know, I don't know if it's likely, but it's definitely in the realm of very possible, right? Maybe even likely. And if he does, we made a commitment. Now, for me, not that hard. I can figure it out. But A, hey, Showtime. Well, Showtime, you're going to have to pay for it, all right? You have to pay for the tattoo yeah. and everything else. But are you yeah. actually, for me, not hard to go through with it. All right, are here's you the actually going to go through with it? Caesars, Caesars right now has Brady a min minus one three five favorite, Bilal a plus one one five underdog. Okay, but that's a, that's very very close, very close. Um, I mean, I said I would, didn't I? Yeah, you can get a small tattoo. Like you don't have to get anything super crazy. Okay, okay. Um, like you can you get a tattoo that takes like thirty minutes or less. You know. Um. Jay Aaron texting both of us now about Teslas, but we're we're not. I mean, we're not going there, are Dude, we? Dude, Jay, I don't care about your life. He's got analysis about your issues on electric cars or your interest in electric cars. Excuse me. All right, thank you, Jay. Thank you, Luke. Uh, that's our show for today. I got to go off and interview a you know rising boxing the, star. The Bellator prelims have started. They have started. All right, we hand off to Big John to uh, 
Josh Thompson and whoever else is on the call this time around. Um, watch it now on Bellator Showtime's YouTube channels, Pluto TV, and don't forget, 4 p.m. Eastern later today, Bellator, 285, only on Showtime. Don't have Showtime? Well, how about you get your 30 days free starting right now? Go to Showtime.com. Uh, that's how you do it. Like us, subscribe to us, buy our merch at morningcombat.store. Thank you for a great another great week of shows. Not a lot of big news this week, Luke, but we we effed around and uh kind of kind of kind of made it work. Kind of got a triple double this week. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um enjoy the fights this weekend, whichever ones you are focusing on. Luke Thomas, are you going to get out and do anything fun? Um do I ever? Not really. Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about skin tags here. This is where we're at in life, Luke, okay? Yeah, two 40-year-old or plus pieces of trash. That's what we yeah. really are. <laughs> there you go. There you go. For uh, Manich, for uh, Gaff, Long Island Luke here today? I don't know. Mikey Morms is in Europe right now. Hopefully, we see mm -hmm. him again in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, enjoy your lives, people. Take care of yourselves. For the great Luke Thomas, I'm Brian Campbell. May all your gains, even your side women, May they stay loyal. We out.